Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest-running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. We're live, it's Wednesday, it's Series 12, F12, Episode 39 and I'm looking out into pitch darkness across the meadow here from Hindhoff Towers just after 8 o'clock then and we are up and running and up in London, in that London town is our executive producer, Tim Bray. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. And on a packed programme tonight, Tim, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features. Excellent. We'll have news. We'll have some news in Spanish that's left over from last week when we didn't have time oh, for right, it. Okay. Uh, we'll have some American news. We'll be joined by Marshall Pruitt for that. Uh, we'll have some usual uh, contributors in the shape of Nick Damon. And do we have a Graham Goodwin this Poss- week? Possibly. A possible Graham Goodwin this week. A possible week. Graham Goodwin, yeah. Uh, we have uh, some racing drivers talking to us. Yeah, which is always good on a show that's all about racing. Let's do a couple of bits. And of we have apologies for absence. Excellent, we have a few of them. Uh, right Turn Lover says he's listening to us tonight from a, a location, a stone's throw from where I was at the weekend. Uh, he does add a disclaimer. Has he got that many on to uh, Twitter? He must have more than 140 characters. Uh, presuming, he says, I can find someone that can throw a stone the 20-odd kilometres from Mannheim to the Hockenheim ring. Uh, right. Hello, RTL. Good to know that you're uh, in tonight. Hello to the guys from Tora Radio. You just heard, uh, if you were listening live, their promo tomorrow night, 8 o'clock for Tora uh, Radio. Uh, hello to uh, John Parker, who's been listening back to some of the archive uh, tonight. And uh, to... Uh, let me see. Uh, to Jessica, who's been catching up with a couple of old... Uh, episodes. Uh, it is Isla Clerk never gets old. Absolutely true. Uh, Rob Jana listening for the first time in months tonight. Live that is. Uh, looking forward to the show. Uh, apologies for absence of Chris Suku. He's in Italy doing shh work again. Uh, catching up uh, on the podcast or maybe the second hour live. Uh, and uh, who else? Carol Grink, Brink uh, at Al Pacini. I think that's how. Uh, Al Capini, Al Capini, sorry Carol, uh, and I listening to the show in the same room in an unexpected twist. Okay, and Shea Adam is trying to liberate and protect the cats as Canadian children has infiltrated uh, the uh, parental units uh, aboard just around the corner. Uh, so that's just a, a little taste. Uh, at Specutainment, please, uh, for uh, your correspondence with the studio tonight uh, let's kick off with the top story uh, shuffling of papers in the background and Tim Gray will play a jingle and say something here's the news all the latest motorsport news from around the world midweek motorsport 
And what's the top story tonight, Tim? Our top story tonight comes from the world of Formula One. Hooray! They just finished it out gently there. I quite like that. That was good, that. The waveform for that looks stunning. Really? (laughs) Just the way I feared it down. Well, there's a little dip in it. Uh, Sorry, a little second peak, like an aftershock. Mm. It's by Earthquake and Heradum. Nick Damon is here. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. Good evening, everybody. Uh, and we are going to start with Formula One. Good. Uh, right because uh, what were we talking about last week? What was our prediction, in fact, for the last couple of weeks? We make so many of them, you're going to have to narrow that one down slightly. With respect to uh, Scuderia Toro Rosso. Uh, that um, Pierre Gasly would be um, racing in uh, Suzuka to defend his crown, or sorry, to try and gain the crown in Super Formula, yep. at Honda's behest. Mm-hmm. And... Um, They've been back, Danny Kvyat, and also obviously Carlos Sainz would disappear off to Renault. So they need to get another driver in. And we said it would be. Uh, I think it was Sebastian Bramey, didn't we? We did. <laughs> but he, then we weren't he, alone. He, st- he still he still might race for them before the end of the season. And I I'll also tell you that. and I also said that weeks before anyone else said it. So I was the first person to get that wrong. Let's get that quite clear. Yes, very good. I like that. But then again, nobody else got it right, despite everybody in Formula One saying yes, we've known this was happening for ages. Fibbers. Which was, wasn't true because the driver himself didn't know until during our show last week. Apparently it was the most searched um, thing in Google for the F1 press. What? Who is Brendan Hartley? Yes, <laughs> I'm sure uh, it was. Can you turn Nick up a bit because he's now know. really quiet? Sorry? Can you turn Nick up a bit because he's now really quiet? Am I really quiet? quiet? Oh, I'm sorry. Right. After, after you faded him down. No, well I'll put him back up to where he was before. Back to where I was. Any better? No. Yes, so it's, so it's, oh well, okay. It's Brendan Hartley anyway. Is Brendan Hartley? Mm. Uh, so, what was he doing last Wednesday evening? He was at the pictures. He the was cinema, at the, movie the movies. Theater. Yes. And do we know what he was watching? No. We know who he was with. Who is? Who was he with? We think he was with Philip Albuquerque, wasn't he? Albuquerque. Yeah. I'm sure you hadn't lined up, so I'll do it for you. You're both really quiet again. Mm. I'm going to turn you off at this end. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Maybe that's just in your headset. Yes, it could be you've actually put the, you haven't turned your headset up and now you're kind of deafening everybody. Yes, good point. Because it's fine leaving me. <laughs> hey! It's absolutely spot on, the pair of us. Mm. So, anyway... He's in. And he's in for... Just at one least race. one race, but I think it'd be two. Do you? Because... Um, they don't really like Danny Kivier anymore, and they want to try and find out if they can uh, what's their best combination for next year when they have a works engine. And of course, the next ne- it's only a week later when we go off to Mexico, where of course Brendan's been a this lot year. recently as well. So yes, he has, this year he has very very relevant recent experience of both tracks, and it's only a week later. And I think he'll be in. Do you think that obviously barring disaster this weekend, of course? Do you think that he's a genuine prospect for? A full-time seat. He's a very tall lad. He is tall, but I think he must be a gentleman. You wouldn't just... Do, there's no PR value than doing it. You know, anybody... Bringing any new driver in is PR value. You know, they, they, they'll they get the same number of excited comments they brought back Sebastian Bramey or pulled in some young kid for who we hadn't heard of. Um, but they must be sitting there going, right, we need to have a couple of drivers in next year. I think I think Gasly's a shoo-in unless he makes a horrible mistake in, in, the, in the final three races. They don't really want Daniel whose around. En- whose engine have... Uh... Honda. Ah. So they have the Honda next year. They work, they're yes. a works team. So they'll be looking... They're, they're, they're casting about. wouldn't surprise me if the, if the final two races of the season in uh, Brazil and um, Abu Dhabi might see some uh, different combinations again and may seem 
may see uh, again Sebastian Buemi or somebody else come in and, and try the seat out. They kind of basically go, well, we are this to see what we can do with this car, and we're all we're all about next year because by releasing Carlos Sainz. Um, which they had to do because um, the activation clause. They are effectively waving away, waving goodbye to a lot of the points they're going to score. So they're kind of which sit- you have said many times. <laughs> so they're going to kind of sit there and they're going to say, well, we'll use these races to get a bit of publicity, to evaluate other drivers so we can have the best to not include Danny Kvyat because he won't be in them uh, for next year. But surely they are still restricted to the number of drivers they can change. So uh, now that they've gone with Hartley, they definitely can't have Wayme. They can have four. They can have two in one, one, two in one car, and one in uh, sorry, two changes of driver in one car, and one change of driver in the second car. Yes. Well, that's four drivers, isn't it? In fact, no, that's, that's five drivers. That's five drivers. They've still got one more to go. Because changing back doesn't count as a change. Changing oh, back. Just, ah, no, 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 no. We no t- Tim said that, changing. Uh, he changing said changes. He didn't say different drivers. So if you have driver, so if you have got, driver here, you've got Gasly as well. So that's your five. Yes, but force majeure. Well, Honda made us do it. Everything is probably a twenty-five place grid penalty or something, isn't no, it? No, everything can be explained with a conversation with. I mean, let's be honest. They only have, they haven't got to talk to the teams about this. They haven't talked to the stewards or Liberty. And are Liberty going to turn it down? Of course they're not. That's not the spirit that Liberty want. They're happy to see people come in for a couple of races and do things. Particularly when they're a Le Mans winner and a world champion in a different category, who's exactly. just won a major race two weeks exactly. ago. Exactly. And, and if Brain in America, and if Brain wants to come in in two weeks' time, it'll be fine as well. So hang on. So what, hang on. What, we what, could... they're, what they're trying to stop doing mm. is the, the, the sort of Minardi or Spiker, as we've been looking earlier, team renter rides, where you get nine different guys in because they who may not be of a standard. They've already done that really with the super license. So yeah. the actual yeah. limitation on drivers and driver changes is completely pointless now because the super license has effectively put the, the limit of the quality in uh we'll discuss this a little bit more but to answer the formula one paddock's question of who is brendan hartley um we i've dug back through my archive and um it didn't didn't hurt at all (laughs) didn't hurt at all which i was surprised at Uh, i was able to bend over and reach down into the archive into the depth of the archive and go back to 2000 and only 2016 in Mexico, funnily enough, that you just mentioned, uh, when I spoke to Brendan for a piece I was writing for Mobile One, The Grid. Now, this has never been played before. And a lot of people, of course, wondering not only who he was, but where he was from. And I think one or two of the F1 pack didn't even know where New Zealand was, quite frankly. <laughs> um, it, so, so when I sat down with uh, Brendan in the paddock in Mexico in 2016, the first question to him was, how did he get involved in motor racing in a country that is quite as small as New Zealand? It's something a lot of people mention. We, we are a small uh, small island nation on the other side of the world. Um, and I think as a country, we... We do like to consider ourselves petrol heads. Um, so I, I grew up at a racetrack, followed in my father's footsteps, also my mom and my brothers. So, I mean, racing was all I knew from a very young age. My, my father builds race engines and always built, built his own race cars. I started go-karting when I was six. And actually, when I look back on the go-karting scene, although I never raced in Europe, I think even in New Zealand, it's, it was at a very competitive level and you could compete at a, at a, at a low cost. And there was... I'm going to just throw it out there, 15, maybe 20 racetracks, go-kart tracks in New wow. Zealand, and which is surprising for such a small small little country. And then then talking about um, where I started in single-seaters, I actually did 
Formula V, which which you have and you'd be familiar with from 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 Europe and the UK. Um, so I, I actually started that. I think I had my first test when I was 11, which I probably shouldn't say because I'm sure I wasn't <laughs> allowed to. But um, I, I started racing when I was 12, and that was still in New Zealand. Yeah, in, in New Zealand. Um, very competitive when I, when I did it. I mean, 30 cars on the grid, and, and um, I was definitely the youngest at the time. But I wasn't the only one who, who followed that that trend. I think Scott Dixon was probably one of the first to. Mm. Uh, let's say exploit the rules that we had that you could start at such a young age I think he was probably one of the first that, that really exploited that to its, its best and then I did Formula Ford and um, now it's that's that's the, the sort of point where you outgrow New Zealand as motorsport did you have to go to to Australia then to follow Formula Ford at the, at the level that you you wanted to compete at not at all so Formula Ford in New Zealand um, at that time was was very competitive it, it's Formula Ford has a big history actually in New Zealand and I think as a as a driver, I learned a lot. It was me, my father, my brother. Um, you know, I was there at, at 13. I was home after school, um, changing the engine. Dad obviously did the engines, and I mean, it was it was a real family affair. And I think as a as a young Kiwi, you, you learn a lot from from that process. And then, actually, I was I was very lucky. So this was very competitive, by the way. So yeah. I mean, uh, I was definitely again the youngest, but there was guys that had been doing it for years, and and it was a competitive environment. Um, then I was very lucky, so the Toyota Racing Series started at a very crucial time for me. So I had one year of Formula Ford. I already had sponsors and supporters in New Zealand. That That's the other point I wanted to make, actually. We have um, great supporters of motorsport in New Zealand. So already from Formula Ford, I mean, we were doing it on a low budget. My dad could, could uh, do the engines, which was the main part of the budget. We built our own suspension from at the workshop, and, I mean, it was uh, at a minimum. And then from that, I actually got sponsorship to, to, to do the Toyota Racing Series, which was the inaugural series. Um, and again, very, very competitive. You know, you, we had a lot of New Zealand drivers from those few years that I did uh, Toyota Racing Series that have now become, uh, like you say, um, at, at the top level. Household names, really. Uh, now, TRS now, was it the same then? It was split between New Zealand and Australia? It never has been, and it's still only in New Zealand. So. All right, okay. Um, and it's, oh, it's my butt, sorry. No, no, it's, it's okay. It, it was a great series. In the first years when I did it, it was mainly New Zealand drivers. Now there's a lot more international drivers taking ad, taking advantage of the winter months in Europe and um, competing on, yeah, in, in New Zealand. Uh, they're not the same kind of tracks, you, you know, you'd find on the WEC calendar, but actually for learning, again, you, you learn a lot driving on bumpy tracks, no runoff, um, some real character. And, and again, in New Zealand, we have... I don't know, seven or eight racetracks on the calendar for four and a half million people. It's um, it, it's, it's surprising. So, yeah, I've, I've spoken way too long, but in general, my point of the story was, yeah, there was very competitive racing in New Zealand, and from racing in Toyota Racing Series, I got noticed by Red Bull. I mean, that <laughs> I didn't, I never raced in Europe before. I got a, I got picked up by Red Bull. So, really? so from there, they, they, well, if you want the long story, in fact, we sent them an email. Uh, I had a, somehow found a contact from Dr. Marco through a friend, um, and. We asked for 5,000 euros, I think it was at the time, because we were desperate for, for sponsorship. <laughs> and they sent back a huge contract and an opportunity to do a, a young driver search in, in Estoril. So at 15 years old, I left school. I left home. Um, like many other Kiwis, I think we have to sacrifice more than, than others. I think maybe that's one of the other answers to the question. I mean, I know when 
when I was in Europe and things weren't going my way. Um, they, you know, I did have a bit of a dark period. I you're guess. a long way from home. You're a long way yeah, from your support network. I think you're pretty committed at that point. You know, a yeah, lot of people right. said, you know, you didn't give up, and 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 I didn't, and and I kind of really had to pick myself up when when things didn't go well. I had a, a few, you know, let's say dark years, but I think when you're you've committed yourself to to a life abroad, away from friends and family, actually, I didn't have a choice, and and I think, I guess, in a way, it gives you some motivation. How aware are you as an individual, and do you think your contemporaries? from New Zealand are about the, the history in motorsport and the big names that have that have come out of of New Zealand I, I think I know the answer to this because I've talked with you and with Earl and with Richie and, and other guys about this I think I know the answer to this but I'll, I'll ask you the question anyway Yeah I think if I'm being completely honest when, when I started racing I didn't understand the significance it wasn't until I came to Europe and I'd been racing here a while and, and also the amount of respect I had as a Kiwi um I think as from other countries you don't have that as a mechanic or mm. everyone has a story about a Kiwi and motorsport if it's an engineer <laughs> mechanic if it's drivers if it's um, you know it, everyone in the motorsport paddock has some kind of memory of, of a New Zealander over here doing well and, and I think that was a big help for me and that was when I realised how, how rich our history really was you know growing up in New Zealand you're quite um, secluded from the rest of the world at least I was and I didn't I mean I New Zealand was the world to me, so I didn't always look outside of New Zealand. And at 15, I ended up living in uh, a strange part in, in Germany, and then uh, I had to um, grow up pretty quick. But I think it wasn't until I came overseas, you know, started racing abroad, that I really understood the significance of and the rich history that we have in, have in motorsport. So, quite unusually for a Kiwi, you didn't have to ply your early years' trade or your development years' trade in Australia, because that's where people like Scotty Dixon went and, and places like that. You you made the jump directly to Europe. Ultimately, the Aussies and the New Zealanders have to make a decision. Are they going to come to the other side of the world? But you, you didn't do any of the junior series in New Zealand in your formative year, in Australia in your formative years? I mean, the, the truth is I wouldn't have had the budget to do that. I mean, <laughs> I, I, mean I mean, a lot of people, cl- uh, you know, in motorsport, a lot of people kind of cry poverty, but not that you know coming from poverty. But I mean, I'm very lucky to be in the situation. I mean, my my family put all they could in, and, and a lot of that was time. You know, my, yes. my dad dedicated all his effort and time, late nights at the workshop, building the engines and working on the cars, and and I was extremely lucky. And, and yes, Scott raced in, in in Australia, but actually he did uh, Formula V and Formula Ford in New yep. Zealand, and he did Formula Holden, which was actually a, a trans uh, trans Tasman uh, series. So. Actually, all the... Well, no, that's not true. I'm just thinking about the, the other drivers that have come through recently. Some of them did a little bit of racing in Australia, but the majority in New Zealand. So yeah. we, we have really competitive series in New Zealand, which I think surprises a lot of people, to be honest. Yeah. Again, it, it, I think just because you look at the size of the population, as well as the fact that it's two small islands, you know, it, it's quite amazing to me to find out and I think I know a bit about it, just how many tracks there are. That can, and I know from the ones I've seen that the, some of the tracks are very, very different in character. They're not all cookie-cutter tracks that look exactly the same. What about the rivalry and then about Australia and, and New Zealand? There's a great sport in rivalry. Does that extend to motor racing? Um... Or do you guys, like we like we Brits abroad, you know, we're England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales when we're at home, but when we go abroad, we're all Brits and we all kind of f- forget our differences. I, I found, in general, coming 
so far away from home there is a bit of that you know when, when you come across another Aussie you, you feel you know you feel much more connected than than when you're competing on home soil um, <laughs> at least when I grew up racing to be honest I, I was always I never competed in, in Australia no. so it's hard for me to comment on that um, but yeah there's always a bit of friendly rivalry but bet- between me and Mark it's, uh, there's, there's a bit of banter but it's, it's gen- definitely friendly <laughs> well it has to be because you're in the same yeah. car I, I just want to go back and, and, and explore this, this rich heritage of, of New Zealand motorsport we lost um, one of the greats recently Chris Ehrman and the just the the outpouring of good wishes that that brought with it from people and particularly people of my generation, we remember Chris and and you know Denny Holm and, and the rest of the guys that came out of out of New Zealand, Bruce McLaren as well, of course. Um, for for such a small population, you guys have done pretty well. And do you feel do you feel a pressure in some way? Do you feel a a responsibility to to keep that light burning, if you will? Um. I wouldn't say pressure. Um, I mean, I'm very proud to be a Kiwi. I think we all, all of us Kiwis that are abroad, were maybe sometimes annoyingly patriotic, and, and we, we we love the history. And even at the Olympics, you know, we'll, we'll be the first ones to tell you that per capita we had the most medals. And you know, we we, 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 we I think we do punch above our weight in sport. The reason for that, it's it's a hard one to to give an answer to. Um, I mean, across the board, I think. In general, for a small population, we, we we punch above our weight. We love our sport, um, but yeah, no, I'm 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 very aware of, of the of the history, and and uh, I wouldn't say it adds pressure, but I'm 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 definitely a proud Kiwi, and I'm I'm a proud I'm proud to be one of many. You know, that's 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 the truth of it. How much do you get to to mingle with the other guys? Then you know, obviously, you're not always at the same tracks at the same time, but I know that. Richie Stanaway and Earl Earl's another Porsche driver, which which gets him a little bit closer to you. Is there is there a sort of sort of secret brotherhood? So you you're looking for their results, they're looking for your results. Yeah, I mean we we do stick together. I mean actually Richie, I don't know that well because I I progressed a bit earlier than him. I never raced against him actually. Um, Earl, I grew up racing with. I yes. mean we, we come from the same go kart club. I mean uh, my earliest memories of. Some of my earliest memories of was actually at the go kart track with him. I started a couple of years before, and I was, I was out kind of showing him the lines and showing him the way. So I, I, one of my claims to fame is actually teaching him how to drive. So, <laughs> um, and he, he'll openly admit that, which is quite funny. And I spent time on his family farm, and, and uh, so it's funny, you know, that we ended up so many years later um, racing at Le Mans together, and, and, and both in factory Porsches. So that was quite bizarre. But yeah, I mean, I think there there definitely is a we we look out for each other a bit. Um, but we're all, uh, interestingly, we're all kind of in different championships, all competing at, at high levels, which is, um, yeah, it's funny how it's turned out. And, and like you say, there's a lot of us. There, there really is. And some young guys coming through as well. Nick Cassidy is doing very well at the moment as well. He's just yeah. now he started competing in endurance racing in Japan. And, I mean, I'm sure there'll be there'll be more and more coming through. So, um, yeah, I don't really know how to answer the question. But, yeah, we, we obviously keep an eye on what we're all, what we're all doing. Do you miss the homeland? I mean, you had to break away from a very, very early schedules nowadays being what they are it's difficult and I know this it's difficult to spend any time in anywhere that you call home but to have to effectively go halfway around the world to get home that's time consuming and that's something that is in short supply in this crazy world we live in yeah so initially 
I mean, it was more than 10 years ago that I, I made the leap, left, left school, didn't even finish my end-of-year exams when I was 15, and, you know, to, to take, to, you know, to have the opportunity of a lifetime with, with Red Bull. So I've been away a long time, and the first few years were definitely the most difficult. Um, you know, a bit of homesick, obviously, missing friends and family, a bit of a culture shock living in East Germany by myself, not speaking the language. And um, I have to say now it's very much changed. I've built, built a life for myself in Europe. I have friends all over the world in the motorsport community which is a community it's, it's, a, sm- it's a small one but you, you you end up making a very diverse set of friends and now that my life is very much in Europe it's it's a different feeling I love going home but I cherish my time at home and I think it's well, what's nice about it is I get to spend a month at home a year but I make the most of it so I mean even I remember last it's not more school but like a tourist yeah, that, that's kind of that's kind of what happens. You know, I go home, I do a road trip, I pack everything in, and even my brother asked me now. You know, he lives he lives in New Zealand, and he said he asked me for advice on where he should go and visit in New Zealand. You know, because and that's what's nice about it is I actually I really cherish my time at home, and I think I wouldn't have done half as many trips around New Zealand if I was living there full time. So, I, I guess it's like anywhere that you live. A lot of the time, you, you don't see the the, the most part of your country. So, I think moving away as well it makes you appreciate more where, where you come from. So, from that I. I actually look at it as a positive now, and, and I, I love the month that I get to get spent at home. So. Brendan Hartley, who will be starting uh, his first uh, official Formula One race this weekend. It's the US Grand Prix, Nick. Yes. And uh, how many uh, US Grand Prix have there been, including this year? Are we including the Indianapolis ones? We're including the official ones, and this year's, which hasn't happened yet. Uh, there's been probably 60. 39. 39. Plus Indianapolis. 39. Well, Indianapolis was part of the World Championship, of course. It wasn't the US Grand Prix. That would have that been in Solitude or Watkins or anything else. No, it's not Solitude. Not um, Solitude. Not Sebring. God, sorry. <laughs> Going to Germany then for a second. So this will be the uh, 39th yes. uh, official US Grand Prix. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Why is that interesting, John? Because 39 is the magic number as far as Brendan Hartley is concerned. Not a number he chose himself for his Formula One debut, though. Uh, Where did that number come from, Nick? Well, it is supposedly the allocated test number for Toro Rosso. But teams don't test cars anymore. But they apparently still have an allocated test number. One of those lovely little hangovers from the past. Ah. So it's a bit of Formula One tradition then. It is. It's it's, it's there. It's there with the, the, the mistletoe underneath Bernie's tree and that sort of thing. It's a... Oh, terrible thought. Um, Moving yes. right along quickly, from that. Quickly, 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 yes. Um, so who was the last person to have the number 39 then? Well, you may well ask. I just did. In many ways, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a gamble. Because the last time the number 39 was officially used was way back in 2006. Now, do you remember, John, for three or four years, whilst it was a transition it, between... Interestingly, unlead- about the time that Brendan, as you heard there, was leaving New Zealand to come to Europe as a... F1. It, it How just, serendipitous. It just comes around. Things With no qualifications at all. With no quality left halfway through his last last part of last year of school. Oh, yeah. so, I, it never amounts to anything in that boy. Come on. So, so anyway, said for three years, when they banned unlimited testing on track, very bad move in my opinion, um, they had kind of a transition which was trying to favour the less good teams. And they said, if you're a less good team, you can have an extra car on Friday. And it has an extra number. And that number will be 30 plus the position you are in the construction championship the previous year. So if you finish seventh, your car will be 37. So obviously right. the ninth finishing car was 39. 
and that was run uh, for three years, uh, four, five, and six. And in 2006, Car 39 was on the double-teamed Midland F1 Racing and Spyker Racing, because one of the takeovers actually happened during the season. Um, it was, and the answer is that it was either, well, I think I know who it was, it was, 39 was run in that year by Marcus Winkelhock, Giorgio Mondini, Adrian Sutil, Alexander Prima, and Ernesto Vizo, and... We think it's Ernesto Visa was the last person to drive 39. So, so, that, so that would be in a proper F1 session yes. that that was run as an extra car. Extra car. So it was out on track in a timed F1 session, the mm. 39, in and the we Fridays, think it was yeah. Ernesto Visa. Yes. If you know any differently... Please tell us. Please tell us. Uh, at at Specutainment on the Twitter sphere. Place. But well done, Brendan. I think in all this, in all the, in all the Russian things they've written about him, how you know he's won Petit Le Mans, he's won Le Mans, he's, you know, he's top of the world championship in every single Can I just driver. point out that he actually really importantly won the Dubai 24 Hours this year? Yep. You know, with with obviously mainly because he had, you know, Robert Renault and now Alfred, thank you, Renault with him. Uh, the Renault brothers obviously won it as well. So Herbert Motorsport. Yep. So he kind of needs to have them in uh, in Austin. I'm sure. But they'll be there. Two weeks afterwards, sure. with us, I'm sure, and you. I'm sure he'll be on the phone to them even as we speak. Maybe you know, they'll we, go out early just to watch. I'm, I, if I was them, I certainly would. Get my, some my tips teammate. on the on the track, track and what gear you need to be in at different places. Mm. Of uh, the eight gears they do, have. Do you do you think then that it was anything other than the usual Radio Show Limited uh, effect of having a driver on the radio as he was? being interviewed by Jim Roller, or she Adam, I can't remember which one it was actually, who interviewed him, um, at the end of Petit Le Mans, and then virtually, I mean, it was it was pretty, it was three days later, four days later, he gets his F1 drive. I think Coincidence? I think not. I think, I think it is very interesting, because he very briefly referred to the dark days there, and, and much like several other drivers who've been dropped unceremoniously from the... Um, the Red Bull, uh, uh, he was very diplomatic yeah, I mean, about that. There, at that but point, he was back with with Porsche as he was by then, because of course he was speaking to what a uh, year and a bit ago, just a year ago. That was just over um, a year ago in the paddock. They uh, have Red Bull sponsorships, so he can't say an awful lot, you know, at that point. And but apologies for uh, the, the uh, generator. Lewis, was, Lewis Williamson was dropped as well, and he's taken a while to come back. He's come back with Stracker, of course, and he's kind of got a combination coach and racing role with them. But he was also dropped out through the Renault side. But of course, we first came across Brendan in either back end of 10 or beginning of 11 when he was at Murphy in P2 and he was just some lanky skinny kid who, who was desperately trying to scrape something together again after being you know dropped and he was very the, good dropped, exactly and, and that's why a couple of years and suddenly he then picked up the, the Porsche experience I, mean, I, mean, I think at the time we couldn't work out why he'd been dropped um, but it, if you was, look at, it was a very it was a very dog it was clearly a very doggy dog the, uh, the Renault situation. 3.5 as it was yes it, was a difficult series. It had a lot of very good drivers in, the, in that time. It was probably as good, if not better, than GP2 at that point. And as always, you get in the wrong team or you get in the wrong frame of mind for a couple of races. They were absolutely ruthless, Red Bull. Mm. Though I'm sure you've all seen the picture doing the rounds of the, the fellow drivers in 2010. They've all gone on. To, you know, it, it was Kvyat, it was um, Science, it was Ricardo. So they've all gone on to do reasonably well. So, you know, they didn't do too badly in the five they kept. Yeah, I thought he was very diplomatic about that for the obviously for the reasons that you said. But those those dark days as a young lad halfway around the world from home must have been very dark indeed. And he's done very well to resurrect his his career uh, and to get himself where he is 
uh, today and to get another shot at Formula One well, and proof of proof. But, we... but isn't this getting in the way of what everyone thinks he's, he was going to do, which is which is IndyCar with which is Ganassi wasn't even IndyCar with? Well, you see, that's interesting because might need Marshall for this, but that's what I, that was supposed to be nailed on, wasn't it? Well, yeah, but if if you're going to go to get a full season of IndyCar next year. Doesn't do you any harm to have some Formula One experience, does it? No, but if they, if, if if the situation is is that uh, uh, Toro Rosso are doing an uh, unofficial shootout with him and uh, Gasly and um, Kvyat and possibly anybody else who's involved in the Red Bull program, um, that delays your chance of signing for that particular IndyCar team. Well, it depends if you are being signed um, by that particular IndyCar team and bringing money with you. Or whether you are being signed on merit. Oh, and obviously, if, if, if any driver is given the choice, they will choose F1 because that's what drivers are like. Um, whether or not that's actually the wisest thing to do sometimes. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think, I think it's I think it's good. I think it's good to see. And I, and I think for once we should applaud um, Toro Rosso for looking outside of the obvious and right going back to the future in many ways, back to something they had before, and acknowledging that he's spent four years, sorry, six years honing his art in different places that have made him a better driver. So. Including going and doing that GT run at Dubai that you were talking about because, and I quote, I asked Porsche if I could do this. They didn't place me here. I asked them because I felt not having driven a Porsche GT car was a gap in my CV. And he got to win. And obviously the highlight was he got to talk to me on the podium. So what more can you ask for? You know. And And he rode a camel. Well, that is, I don't know. Did he, did, he, did he get the camel? I can't remember who got the camel. Was it whether Renault has got the camel? Ah, right, okay. It would have been whoever was in the car at the end of the race. No, it's it? not. They, they, they sometimes they swap around. It's yes. oh. a camelophobe at some point. Yes. Uh, hello to Stathis Coco. Said nothing better than football on the television on mute and midweek motorsport. Bring it on, guys. Uh, and uh, F1WAC fan says, uh, is there F1 news to talk about tonight? You've just heard some of it. Hope you enjoyed that. A uh, little dip into the archives for that never-before-heard interview with Brendan Hartley, recorded in 2016 in the paddock We should, should Mexico. really have shouted like, for three three days beforehand, exclusive interview coming up with Brendan Hartley, exclusive, uh, exclusive, exclusive, exclusive. I, apparently that's what you do now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> apparently that's not what we do. Um, Kiwis in Formula 1, let's just uh, finish this When was this the last thing. one of those? Yes. Uh, a long time ago, Who was very it? briefly, the, at the time the youngest of all, uh, Mike Thackwell. And for which team was that? Is it Ensign? No, it wasn't. Tyrrell? Depending on what criteria you March. use, it's either Tyrrell or Ram, but it wasn't Ensign. I've got a second go. I just just the to prove we're live, Blue. by the way, it's 1-1. One, one. That's oh, good. Not again. <laughs> That's my fixed odds coupon up the Swanee straight away. For those who know what that is. But it's, it's, it's interesting, given that incredible... Um, uh, wave of success that came over in the mid to late 60s sporting heritage of, yes. uh, that they haven't had a, a driver in F1 since what, 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 that was 1980 or 79 but way way back anyway was mm. it's a long time ago over 30 years ago yeah uh, and we've had a number of Australians and it's a bigger country but, but Brendan made the point there there's still an awful lot of Kiwis come over not necessarily end up as drivers a lot of engineers a lot of mechanics come over and it, it you know it, they do it's a it's Small country, a couple of islands, small country, but really, in all sports, they punch above their weights. I'm delighted for Brendan, absolutely delighted. One of the really nice guys in the paddock. I hope he does very well indeed, and if that is what he wants to do. He, he's, he's out of contract with Porsche at the end of the year. Well, everyone is. Um, not everybody. Well, oh, right, so you mean, sorry, it LMP1, obviously, but... Um, not all of the LMP1 drivers are out of contract no, at the end Nick of the year, either. Nick and, uh, going, going. 
um, what he did before, aren't they? He's at, you know, if 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 he's got the opportunity, if that's what he wants to do, if hey, look, Nick, if he has to make a choice and he's got two choices and it's F1 or IndyCar, it's a nice choice to have to make. And we know he'll choose. F1 for Toro Rosso or a potential IndyCar championship. F1 for Toro Rosso, every time. Really, set you for life. We have uh, obviously the US Grand Prix this weekend, and the yes. title could be decided. It could. It's going to be quite difficult. We need another. Wouldn't um, be the first time. Actually, though. No, the title, one of the titles, will be decided. Which is manufacturing. Which, which is to, uh, constructors. Constructors. Yes. That is. That would take a a huge amount of unreliability, which has not happened much from say this year. Uh, or so a large pinch pussy cat pushing so the ball off the circuit. Almost the certainly will leave the uh, uh, circuit of the Americas as the constructor champions for the fourth straight year, and uh, you know, deservingly so because they decide to have two drivers who are, who can drive rather than just one driver and an old bloke who makes him feel good. Um, the um, the other side of the uh, was, that a, was that a sly dig at Ferrari there? No, just, just take your own take your own uh, pick about you know when. But you know, he's the best. But but surely. Kimmy is the best core driver ever. Best teammate TM. I've ever had, TM, says Fettel, because the man who gives you least trouble in any way and he's just happy to take the check and occasionally qualify third. Shall we start another rumour? No, go on. Where was Sebastian Fettel at the weekend? With you, Hockenheim. Yes. Watching his ga- brother. Whose garage was he in? His brother's garage. Mercedes. No, he was in Audi's garage. Was he? Yes. Yeah. Talking to Chris Renke, watching his brother Fabian. Who races an Audi? Races an Audi TT Cup car. He was there with his dad. Blimey. Uh, do you know who? Uh, we'll have more about DTM in the way. No, I'll leave. I'll leave that. Remind okay. me to tell you who made it literally a flying visit to congratulate the new DTM champion. Okay, I will remind you. That. Uh, and the other championship, which is the drivers' championship for the, for the World Championship F1, is a little bit more complex because I think uh, Lewis has to score 16 points more than Seb. So even if he wins, Seb would have to come back to seventh. Uh, to do that, so or have a spark plug failure, or have any sort of failure. But I think what's more likely is that those two drivers will be first and second. In which order, I don't know. And really, either order is is good news for Lewis. If Hamilton were to finish second mm-hmm. and Fettel ninth, mm-hmm. uh, then the title would not be over. But Vettel would need to win all three remaining races with Hamilton not scoring a point in any of them. Yeah, so it's effectively over all bar the arithmetic. Well, no, no, because if, if, if Hamilton has a DNF in, in Austin and uh, Fettel wins, then, then it comes out a much more manageable... Oh, yeah, 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 but, but, yeah, if, okay. The fact is that, that Hamilton needs to come fourth in three races and seventh in one race to win. Hmm. So given the fact that unless they can get both Red Bulls ahead of him, that's not going to happen, because he won't finish behind Bottas at any point... It's qu- uh, Quite uh, for us in the UK, it's quite a late Grand Prix, isn't it? It's an even later qualifying session. Oh, really? Because of the because you know that the Circuit of Americas actually makes all its money from the pop concert, the popular music concert. Yeah. Was it Justin, big is, combo. Is it Justin Timberlake this year? It is Justin Timberlake. Ah. Um, they have last year when they had the very successful Taylor Swift concert, they had qualifying at the normal time, which is uh, local time about two or three or something like that. Uh, but they've but I mean there's a long gap between cars going round and Taylor singing. And so everyone turned up later. I'm going to see Taylor now. There's no Formula Two there. Right. So what they've done, they've moved qualifying way back about another three hours, four hours. So there's a very short gap between qualifying ending and the concert starting. With the idea is they'll get the concert goers to come watch the racing. So the, the qualifying actually start at 10 o'clock our time in the UK, UK time. 11 o'clock in Europe. The biggest problem for that is that after qualifying, everybody will want to go home. And no, they want to go to Justin Timberlake. No, but you've got to pay for that extra. When we, when we were at the circuit of the Americas, 
you couldn't stay to watch it if you were motor racing credentialed type person. You had to pay to get in to watch the concert. So trying to get out of a concert where 25,000 people, trying to get out of a racetrack where 25,000 people are coming in to get a co- to, to what the concert is really, really difficult. Well, I think they thought of that, but uh, who knows? Well, they had <laughs> earlier on on the Friday of the Indy 500 as a concert, and. Is it Friday or Saturday? Saturday of the yep. 500, the concert. No track action, of course, on Saturday. And Groundsman's very a, particular about that. I after hear. a certain point, which I think is something like 11 a.m., you can't get in uh, even to go to the museum unless you've got a contact, concert ticket. Yeah. Is, yeah. It, is it a good concert? It's not a Justin Timberlake or Taylor Swift. Well, uh, well it's not so this weekend also has Stevie Wonder. Blimey, really? And uh, a load of local acts as well. And it's lots a very, of very good music city. It's a very good music city. However, of course... Rather more impressed to be than Justin Timberlake, but keep going. Um, however, of course, the, their big race of the year is not until the uh, 9th to the 12th of November. It's yeah, a very who, big race. Who's playing, big race. Who's playing that event? There's no concert that weekend. It it's just motor racing. I'm you just, know what the place I'm was built very for. Very much hoping your your teammate does a baking demonstration because I'm looking to get some cake. I'm very excited because my race suit turns up this week. Um, back to back to Austin. So uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's most likely that everyone seems to think that the championship is going to get decided in uh, uh, Mexico just because Hamilton just consistently score points and Seb will run out of races to overcome him overhaul him. Um, but it's still possible. It's, it's not. It's ha- not. Done and dusted just yet. It has been decided Austin before, though, hasn't it? Yeah, it was, um, Nico Rosberg Correct. threw it away uh, a couple of years ago when he was had enough points to do it, and he had a weird oversteer moment, and Lewis wumbled through after the very rare, very wet race there. Um, Mind when it rains there, it really rains. It did. They called off Friday. We'll be talking or about else. places where it really rains later in the show. Okay. No, but first, <laughs> this. Crown Court. Got that one quick. <laughs> Sports. It was the wrong answer, though, because, of course, uh, what's the connection between this and the bit of music I played two weeks ago? What, oh, look, what though, we can remember that! What, when we music? were talking about the Grand Prix of Rotterdam. Oh, uh, Rotterdam, I don't, c- tell me, I don't know. Both written and performed by the Simon Park Orchestra. Ah, oh, oh, yes, level, that yes. was, uh, it was Van der Volk, wasn't yes. it? Yeah. It's Daft. Yes. That was two weeks ago? Yes. Really? last week? Well, maybe pe- it was. No, I don't think Which it was Which peak of 1970s uh, TV music? I just say I really like this music, by the way. What, Crown Court? Yeah, it's really well. Uh, you just, they just don't do theme tunes like that anymore. So what for high def, widescreen, good production players, excellent acting, and good scripts? The music's rubbish now. Bring bring back the Simon Park Orchestra and Mike Post. Oh, did a whole the, lot wall, of good. the walls don't wobble anymore, Nick. The walls don't wobble. Right, <laughs> moving on. Why is this playing? Uh, because financial corruption investigators in <laughs> France right. are investigating the role played by the uh, world governing body for motorsports in the 4.4 billion dollar sale of Formula One. Oh dear! Mm. Really? Really? The hundred million dollar kick- kickback? You the, mean? You, you mean this story that we raised corporately eyebrows uh, about many many years Hang ago? Hang on, is this, the, is this the sale back in 2000 to CVC or the more recent sale to Liberty? Let me continue. Mm. Investigators want to know if the Fédération Internationale de l'Automobile, which is based in Paris and commonly referred to as the FIA, had a conflict of interest when it agreed to clear the sale of Formula One to Liberty Media, the cable conglomerate controlled by the American billionaire John C. Malone. 
Right. I think I think they should go back a few more years and have a look at the one with the CVC one, which was much dodgier. But keep going. Um, yeah. Um, I'm not quite sure what the, what the conflict of interest would be, unless because I know they had, they, they had sold the rights for not enough money already, so just somebody else who was looking after the rights. Investigators' concerns centre on a deal known as the Concord Agreement that the Federation signed in 2013 in its role as the overseer of Formula One. Uh, the agreement between racing teams and the owner of the series at the time allowed the Federation to benefit from an increase in annual payments for its role. The Federation also received a one-time $5 million payment and was allowed to buy 1% of Formula 1 for about 100 times less than its true value. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if we're getting into that, then uh, commercial rights are going to be a fantastic story, aren't they? That 1% stake ended up being worth about $80 million to the Federation, creating the risk of a conflict given that it had the final say on clearing any potential sale. Mm. Uh, from which they would benefit, of course, as a stakeholder. Yeah, but there uh, In Britain, the Serious Fraud Office has already reviewed the sale, or started reviewing the sale, mm. uh, and uh, referred the matter to Parliament. Why? Uh, SFO Director David Green said the SFO's intelligence unit is following this issue very closely and reviewing materials pursuant to alleg- allegations of bribery and corruption. Right. I don't. Okay. As part of but their. Who's bribed who? As, as part of their Europe bribe. Are they, are they trying that they to have? say that there's been a sweetener to the FIA to sell it to Liberty? Or just because to sell it? Just to sell it, yeah. I mean, that's the whole point. Getting, getting CVC out. I assume they've just made, they've just made it. In fact, what they've actually done is, is is not quite got even close yet to paying FA what it was worth when they ripped it off them for a hundred years for a million a year. Mm. Well done, Max. Um, CVC declined to comment. Oh, CVC. Well, so, right, so CVC are in trouble, are they, rather than Liberty? Bernie Eccleston has said. This is nothing to do with me anymore. I've gone. I'm just a grey-haired old pensioner. No, what he said it's was, nothing to do with me, that, chum. They won't, even, they won't even give me an office to talk about this. They tell me there's not enough offices at the track, so I can't go. It's not It's not fair. They don't like me. Is he about to become part of the cast of East End? Oh, yes. A lot of things <laughs> happen in business. As if you look at it, you can't understand why it's happened. Somebody said to me, there's a problem. I think in the end, people were part of it in France and they'll have a look at these things if they think it's wrong. That's a I, what I don't pointless what, what I don't understand is, is why the serious fraud office in the UK is looking at it. Or have they just referred because it to... Because Delta, Topico and Bambino are all based in the UK. They're all UK companies. Ah, OK. So it's the UK companies, mm. it's a French governing body and it's an American-Canadian media conglomerate so they can all have a go at it. It's much easier than going after real criminals, isn't it? <laughs> well, if you saw the uh, prices to get charged at Grand Prix, you might think otherwise. Anyway, move on. Uh, so that's that. Yeah, um, so that is that. Okay. Except I bet it isn't. No. No. Let's many, g- many more outings of the very very good Simon Park Orchestra. Yeah, that's very one. good. Uh, we like the Simon Park Orchestra. We yes, do. we do. I think they should be the official orchestra of Midweek Motorsport. Do you think so? Yeah, I okay. think we should start handing out official things for everything. Now we're, ha- now we're, now we're having exclusive. Hang on, only if people pay us for it, though. Uh, I read that in the FIA handbook. <laughs> Very good point, yeah. But don't forget, they can pay 100 times this is worth. Uh, but we have to give 1% to Simon Park, do we? He has to pay us, does he? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think that's how it works, doesn't it? Anyway, moving on. Uh, moving on, let's uh, play another bit of music. I'm okay. really excited. Okay. Uh, I kind of pre-warned John about this one. 
Did you? Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Captain Tobias Wilcock welcoming you aboard Coconut Airways Flight 3722 Bridgetown Barbados. We will be flying at an height of 32,000 feet and at an airspeed of This is typically tropical. It is. Going to Barbados, which was my girlfriend. Ho horribly, horribly two, wasn't it? remade with a going to Ibiza version. Don't sing. Why not? Because it'll spoil the song for the listener. What, what, did, what did you say, Nick? girlfriend, No, after that. Nothing, I'll shut down. Yeah. He was trying to sing. I thought you mentioned something about her being number two. Yeah, but it was two. It wasn't. It was a number one. <gasps> right, okay. Was it number one for one week? It's I one don't of those odd ones. Was. I think it's great. Oh, think, no, that I was... Think I'm, I'm were, thinking of 10cc dreadlock holiday what was one for one it? week. 77? It was one of 169 UK number ones in the 70s. And which one was it? Was it 77, 76? Oh, it would have been towards the end, but 77, yeah. So... Basically, you'd be, we'd all been dancing at the Silver Jubilee parties if it was 77. Really? Well, it was around that sort of time, wasn't it? 75, 75. it was. 75? Wow. Yeah, definitely would have been there. Who went to uh, Barbados at the weekend? Uh, not me. <laughs> not me. Jensen Button. Did he? Did he? Yes. What, did he promote his book? And? Have a go at Lewis. No, who else? Mrs. Button. Will Stevens. Really? Yeah. Why? And oh, get in! It was number one for a week. For a week. I was, there you I was go. right. And Ollie Webb. Right. What were they doing there? It was the Barbados Festival of Speed. Ah, excellent. At uh, Bushy Park. I assume that also there had been uh, Sam Collins. He goes that, doesn't he? Doesn't he? No, no, he was in Fuji. Of and which we'll more talk later. About that later. <laughs> Poor man. <laughs> <laughs> well, but half we'll also hair, talk about that next surely. week. Uh, sorry, later in the show, not next week. We'll talk about that later. Um, because I have a theory on that respect. But yeah, mm. that was a sort of tenuous non-story to uh, just, uh, just get away music. playing some 70s it. hits. It's always by worth the, it. By the way, it was the Venga Boys who did, did a rework in 1999, and that was a number one as well in the UK. Really? Yes. yes. Oh, there was a One of 209 uh, number ones in the UK <laughs> in the 1990s. <laughs> he's, got his, he's got his chart book out. Number ones went through the roof at the beginning of the 2000s. They're like one a week. Um, yes, and then suddenly, and now with now they've included um, streams, they've gone right down again, haven't they? It's all down to the uh, popularity of uh, singles. So, so hang on. And in the nineties, that fell to the floor. Ninth of August, uh, the week of the ninth of August, uh, typically tropical, were number one for just a week. This is me going back to my uh, jock days. Would isn't you it? actually like to be on Radio Newcastle right now? Uh, Quite literally, uh, mate. Uh, they probably won't be playing any of the songs. It was. Preceded by the Bay City Rollers. No. And give a little love. You've got to give a little love. Take a little love. Be prepared to forsake a little love. Thank and you. if the sun and comes shining through, you know what to do. Okay. I thought you told um, him not to sing. Though. I did. Uh, he wasn't. That wasn't singing in any way, shape, or form, by the way. <laughs> and it was succeeded by the Stylistics and Can't I Give You Anything But My can't Love. Can't Give You Anything. But my love... And that's gone as well now. Excellent. <laughs> I was 10. I know all these. I taped these off the radio those days. You used to do it on the cassette yeah, on the chart yeah. show, didn't you? Oh. I've probably still got those cassettes in a storage. I'm, in, I'm enjoying this somewhere. part of the show far too much. Uh, so, anyway, that was a completely pointless part of the show <laughs> that had nothing to do with <laughs> motorsport, whatever. Um, 
Well, it did, because the Barbados Festival of Speed is uh, uh, something that sounds great, but we ought to uh, check it out for ourselves. So, yes, uh, can we? We've been offered to go there. Uh, have we? Why yeah, have we, we not offered, accepted? We've been offered to go there for uh, quite a few years. People have asked us to go there. Right. Let, let's let's not say no next time. Well, OK, if you want to pay the flight, that's season, fine. Though. <laughs> it's the end of hurricane season. We need to find a sponsor if we're going to go and do it, because my air miles won't get us all there. Oh. So, moving on, we're on Midweek Motorsport Series 12. Good to have your company tonight. This is episode number 38. Add Specutainment, please. I have some Simon Park trivia. Which is? Simon Park appears in an episode of Bargain Hunt in 2017. So, obviously, he's not passed on. Excellent. He is still with us. He is definitely... Were the rest of the orchestra with him? They probably found them in a, in a, you know, bring them by a bazaar somewhere. Shall we do a bit of DTM? Yes, that's actually what we were going to move on to. Excellent. Almost as if we'd rehearsed this. (laughs) Uh, At the weekend, the final two rounds of the DTM were at Hockenheim Ring. Beautiful weather. Absolutely fantastic. Mid-20s to late-20s Celsius. Huge crowds both days. Sounds like London, apart from the huge crowd. (laughs) Yeah, well, there's quite a few people in London, I would have thought. Uh, And such a shame that the WEC have taken Germany off their calendar for their transition season and went to... I don't remember it being beautiful weather or massive crowds when the WC did go there. Though. No, that was massive crowds. It was massive Can crowds. Can I just say, it was beautiful weather and massive crowds when the F1 went there in the 90s. That yep. was Schubacher time. The crowds yep. were unbelievable. My first time at the Hockenheim ring to be in there, I've driven past it a couple of times, once by, completely by accident. Um, that just tells you how lost I was. In fact, I was sort of going past it at about 130 miles an hour. <laughs> no, I wasn't actually. I was going to Austria. But, but I was sort of in the right direction. But I was, it was a, there's a de-restricted part of the motorway alongside it, so I wasn't exactly hanging about. Um, and I, I saw it in the rear view mirror and went, oh, what's that? That must be... Oh, it's the Hockenheim ring. Anyway, it was too late by then to stop and go back and have a look. Anyway, terribly impressed. The uh, the technical people there were very helpful and we managed to get a little bit of live broadcasting that we weren't entirely sure we'd be able to do and, in fact, weren't going to do. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, Patrick Simon, thank you very much to Patrick uh, for being a, a glorious host and letting me take over part of the P8 at the weekend. If you haven't heard it, it's on the archive. It's the Audi TT Cup Legends race, which was hilariously funny and actually a very good race as well. Um, the main event was the DTM in a bit of a state of flux at the moment. Uh, the Japanese Super GT cars were there, at least two of them were. The Lexus, driven by Heike Kovalainen, and uh, that was the Lexus test car for this year, uh, all in black carbon. That looked fantastic and was very quick indeed. Did a time about two seconds or so quicker than a DTM car. Pretty unspectacular, just went about its business. Last year's Nissan, however, was turned up to 11 uh, with uh, Quintarelli driving it. And it was spitting two and a half feet of flames out on every downshift. And it sounded like machine gun fire when he was shifting down. It was fantastic. And they were another half a second quicker again, at least. I think six tenths quicker. And it was a magnificent demonstration. Gerhard Berger on the Sunday morning. Uh, what was his ex- What did he say? Uh, an, an historischer moment. Isn't that what he said, uh, Tim? Something for, like that, for DTM. Yes. And uh, so we're expecting the full details of how Super GT and DTM will be combined 
uh, in Germany for next season, the last season for Mercedes-Benz, of course. Uh, and uh, it was a three-way battle between three Audi drivers, uh, Leicester's Jamie Green, uh, Marcus Ericsson, and... From Sweden. From Sweden. And... Uh, you don't mean Marcus Ericsson. I don't mean Marcus Ericsson at all, do I? one driver. Matthias? Uh, Matthias. Matthias Ekstrom. Ekstrom is similar. Ecky, yes. Um, and where did I get that from? Um, <laughs> and the eventual winner was René Rast, who looked to be out of it after the first race on Saturday. Um, but uh, after a 10-place grid penalty for Jamie Green for his fifth yellow card Lester's of the Jamie season... Leicester's Jamie Green, sorry. Um, for his uh, fifth red car, uh, yellow card offence for the season. Really? Yeah. He was put 10 places back. Nearly got... Well, he got back up through the field. He made up a lot of positions. Um, but ultimately not enough to stop Rennie Rast winning the title. Minden's Rennie Rast. Minden's Rennie Rast. Yes, very good. Uh, uh, Rennie, of course, we all know from his sports car expert. It's been a good race. Good week for sports car uh, drivers, hasn't it? Now, before the party started on Sunday night... Just because and would they have been playing Totally Tropical? Almost certainly. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. And by the way, <laughs> you, you were meant to remind me, Keki Rosberg and Nico Rosberg flew in just for the party Keke in the Rosberg, paddock. Rosberg, who owns the winning team, yes, wasn't exactly. there automatically. No. They flew in. Uh, he and Nico flew in. Uh, for the party on Sunday night. I don't night. think Nico's changed that many nappies on his second child. He, keeps, he, was, he was working in Japan for Sky. I think he's finding excuses. Uh, I managed to grab a quick glass of champagne uh, with <laughs> Rene Rast. Come see me, make me smile. And, very good, sailor. Um, <laughs> Hello, sailor. Uh, and uh, have a quick chat with them. Before the party started, it, it literally were the only people <laughs> uh, in the hospitality unit. And as it was only a few hours uh, since he'd actually crossed the checkered line, no surprise really that he hadn't really let the idea of him being DTM chunk him sink in yet. Uh, not yet, no, uh, not fully. I mean, I just took a shower basically um, and just got a refreshment, you know, took some food, took some drinks, and that's it. Uh, I didn't even open, I mean, I opened my phone obviously and called my girlfriend and my, my son. But that's it. I didn't read any single message or didn't uh, didn't look to any videos yet. But um, it's it's an incredible moment, which obviously um, everything is very uh, intense right now. And I hope that I will have some time the next couple of days to really uh, enjoy these these moments. You knew it was going to be a tough season because you did a couple of rounds last year but you enjoyed those two rounds last year and you were relatively successful but surely you couldn't have dreamt about winning the DTM in your first year for sure not and nobody uh, was expecting me to, to win an outright first year and you know before the season there was like a piece of paper and every driver could actually fill in who he thinks will be champion end of the year and I filled in Jamie and I didn't even uh, thought about it by myself I didn't believe in it because it was so far away this DTM championship and uh, for me you know I was not dreaming of being DTM champion my goal was to finish in the top 10 one or two races and maybe a podium this already the podium was like a high-end goal for me and unreachable and you know now I'm here as a DTM champion it's like uh, yeah how can you put it into words I don't know when did you start to think that it was a possibility for this year or did you not because after yesterday's race it, it maybe didn't look so good 
after I mean after Spielberg three weeks ago after the first race I was like 40 or 30 points behind Matthias and after the first race I said okay this this is done we're not gonna be champion and uh, I basically gave up personally but um, you know if you have some good guys around you they push you and you you start to believe in it again and then we had a good very good race on Saturday uh, Sunday and we we, we caught up on, uh, on the championship again and um, yeah, even even today, um, I didn't really believe in it because even though I had a very good starting position, it was still you know a long race and anything can happen. So, and even after the checkered flag, I didn't know that I was champion. I was just waiting for the moment the team told me that I'm gonna be champion, and uh, it was just uh, even even after the checkered flag, I didn't know. Winning the first one is difficult enough. Defending a championship in DTM, even harder. Do you allow yourself to think about that? You're just going to enjoy the moment. I just enjoy the moment. Uh, about next year, so so far away, I will not uh, waste one moment of time thinking about next year right now. So congratulations to Rene Rast, the 2005 uh, VW Polo Cup champion. Yes, and that's that's significant because with the end of the TT Cup which is why I was there, because we had all the legends in the outgoing TT Cup cars. That ends 20 consecutive years of Volkswagen Group providing a single mark championship in Germany. Yes, there's no uh, Seat Leon Supercopa anymore. No. I I mean, it goes back longer than that, but 20 consecutive years, um, they've been a, a major player. In German Would you count the Porsche Carrera Cup Deutschland as a uh, no, BMW no, group? No, that, no, no. Yes, yes, you could if you're being terribly pedantic, but you know what I mean, um, because it, it goes back, um, it goes back to the Audi 50, which became the VW Polo way, way back. But there were some years where they didn't have any. But but for the last 20, I think 21 or 22 years actually, there's been a single make, a single model championship at, at supporting high-level uh, German motorsport DTM in this case and that comes to an end that came to an end last weekend although did it question mark because dot, 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 dot. yes because I'm I'm hearing from sources within Audi that um, that's being looked at for next year after they the success knock out 18 TCR cars shouldn't they well, they've knocked out 110 TCR cars well, they already. That, that means 18 more for them. Yeah, but it's, it's a possibility. It's cheaper as well. Uh, it's a possibility. Uh, we'll talk more about German motorsport and the DTM, I think, in the second part of the programme. But it is just on 9 o'clock here in the UK. This is Midweek Motorsport. Sorry, you should have warned me you wanted to jingle here. Hang on. It's 9 o'clock. Midweek Motorsport. Half time, and while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. Coming up in the second hour of tonight's programme, it's only been 12 years that it's halfway through we've had a jingle, but never mind. Uh, we'll be speaking to Marshall Pruitt from Racer.com as we get uh, the lowdown on things state side. Lots of stories uh, from over there uh, this week. We'll go back to Germany and uh, just pick up on the DTM and where it goes next. It's a big tumultuous time for German motorsport at the moment uh, and more of your tweets as well at Specutainment please uh, thank you to Sarah Rigby we first met Brendan Hartley in 2012 at Donington when he raced with Murphy in the ELMS and I tell you what uh, Sarah he's not changed at all plus more of the news and of course some of that 
may well be in Spanish. Week Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. So into the second half of tonight's program, shall we? Shall we pick up with that DTM and German motorsport? Yes, then, obviously, DTM next year is going to be very different. Uh, not next year, the year after. Next year, it's going to be fairly similar, but with a f- lot fewer drivers. Uh, no and manufacturers. No, exactly the same next year. Really? Mercedes-Benz are still in the championship next year. It's okay. their last. It's their last year. O- although, you see, it's interesting you say that, Tim, because at the weekend, one of the lovely things about being at a racetrack and not having a huge amount to do, to be quite honest, is that you can wander around and talk to people. Now, the first thing I found out is that the DTM paddock is incredibly difficult to get anybody to talk to you because they're all. It's very F1. Um, mm. It's very difficult to get to in, in some respects. They have some great initiatives, like having a couple of pit garages in the middle of the pit lane that are open with uh, a perspex screen across the front so that the fans can get in and look to see what happens in the pits. But actually getting to talk to somebody, and particularly anybody from the major teams and manufacturers, is nigh on impossible. However, I was able to trawl around and speak to some of the journals. Um, there's talk that Mercedes-Benz might not be back yet, back next year. There's talk there might not be a DTM at all next year if they can't get their television uh, package mm. sorted out. One of the particular things about German manufacturers, and when they're spending 100 million euros each on a national series, you can kind of understand this, is they're pretty keen on having broadcast television in their home market. And that doesn't mean... Terrestrial. Yes, they, they, I mean, proper old-fashioned broadcast, not on a red button, not on a, a, a separate channel, second screen, streaming, none of that. They're like, somebody at Audi once said to me, if our board members and their wives can't tune into it on a Saturday and Sunday, even if we've won on Monday, it's it's like nothing ever happened. It's got to be there on one of the major channels and easily be able to be found. And the issue with it is that ARD, the major German broadcaster who has been uh, broadcasting uh, DTM for a wee while now, is ditching it. That was their last weekend. And therefore, it hasn't got a TV package at all at the moment next year. However, there is a German broadcaster uh, with a long history of motorsport, Mm. which doesn't currently have any motorsport next year. Would that that be Sport 1s? No. Ah, okay. It, it would be our ETL. Because they're losing Hang on, I'm Formula now, I'm One. I'm now very worried. Is that mean Kai Ebel's losing his job? Well, RT- well we should tell the listener. about Kai, but this is RTL a very... will no longer have Formula, Formula One next year. Because that's going to ARD. So what happens to Kai Abel and his fantastic and his shirts? I was just about to say, how will the more flamboyant tailors in Berlin be kept in business if Kai's not buying his jackets from them? Sport 1 has been mentioned to me, though that is the channel that uh, some of our listeners uh, will know because uh, we work alongside uh, the people who provide them their feed for the Nürburgring 24. used to be called DSF. DSF, yep, exactly right. Um, So it's not as if there's no one that will take it. Is it it AU Pay or is it a freebie? Well, that's there's the question. It's it's a changing market in in broadcast television. We've talked about this in Formula One in the states. Um, this is a far more national problem for Germany. But don't forget, the cable networks in Germany don't operate. And very fractured, very regional. And you can't get YouTube. You can't get anything live on YouTube. Yes, you can. In Germany, they no, can. It's changed. Changed. I I know this. I know this. Really? It changed two years ago. Yeah. 
Everything, daily motion I know you can still get. I couldn't get anything on YouTube at the weekend. Okay, well, YouTube streaming, our live, our live streaming mm-hmm. is, has been fine for the last two years, but it wasn't. Wow. Okay. But that doesn't... It, 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 you, I've no idea what into, inside Germany rules are, what geo-blocking is, but certainly our stuff, which is free for everybody, is they can, Germans can now see it. The other issue, of course, is Mercedes-Benz leaving and BMW and Audi only putting six cars in. Oh, really? Uh, only putting six cars each in, that so would leave yeah. 12 cars. No, I mean, I think they, they are at a crossroads. Um, and it's kind of like, if you, if you look at the premier touring car racing series within the UK, um, there's no manufacturing involvement really in that, only a few quid here and there. Um, it's run almost entirely by the support of uh, paid drivers or supported drivers. There's not 100 million activation, but it's still chanters along quite nicely and it's actually in rude health I mean is it just a case where DTM is too expensive um, it is very expensive the chassis of course is pretty Banana. much yeah and it's common with Super GT Dave Olcott asks do you think that uh, Super GT chassis could have a future in world touring cars or British touring cars a car which can be used in multiple series or would it more likely be TCR and neither of the above I'm afraid Dave because those two championships you've mentioned, World Touring Cars and British Touring Cars, have, are ploughing their own furrow and well, continue to do so. World Touring Cars is going the same way as DTM. Well, World, World, World Touring Cars, cars will get there the first in the sense that it's uh, next, year. next year it has no calendar, no promoter and no entrance. Yeah. Um, so... I don't think I don't think DTM is going to disappear, but it's, I think no. it needs to look different. Uh, look differently. The initiative uh, with Super... of, before you move on, mm. uh, just to finish that sentence, uh, BTC has its rules fixed until 2022, yep. so there'll be no technical changes yep. in BTC uh, for another four years. D- DTM are at a crossroads. The long mooted collaboration with. Japanese Super GT and the GT500 cars um, to create the so-called Class 1 touring cars around the world. Now, let's get this straight, dear listener. These aren't touring cars at all. <laughs> These are prototypes. Yeah. They're I've... not even prototypes. They're single-seaters. Well, it, prototypes, it's, effectively, it's, a single-seater. It's a super formula car. You look underneath them. You look underneath them, and it's, it, it is a... It's an LMP2 car or an LMP1. That's what they look like. That's the cockpit size. The driver sits well over to the middle, but there's enough room for a skinny person next to them. It's it's a fat lad's prototype. You know, it it is a marvellous piece of engineering. And uh, like one or two other touring car series, uh, the engine is the bit that the manufacturer is able to influence, although they're all 90-degree V8s. Everything else, pretty much, the electronics package, the gearbox, the drivetrain, the back axle, are all standard components. The suspension pickup points can be changed, and obviously there's slight difference in the aero um, from car to car because they are supposed USC, aren't they? they are supposed to have styling cues. Basically, think about it, it's a touring car version of DPI, if if you will, um, at 25 times the cost. Yes, I mean I think, I think well I, the cost come Nick the cost come not in building the cars yeah, not even in designing I, no, the no, cars no, but I, in running six of them I've running six teams or nine pe- of them yeah really, which, which they were yeah yeah, yeah. but uh, you know running 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 yeah. three professional teams the size of the hospitality units the size of the fan activation 
is just on a different level. That's where the money's going. And as you said, I think let's 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 quite good. The professionalism of the teams, the quality of the cars, the quality of the drivers cannot be doubted. The quality of the racing and the ridiculous amount of money being spent for what is effectively a national series can, and that's and and you kind of think, well, you've done very well. You've had this this love in from three manufacturers keeping you, you all happily employed, much like the the glorious days of Super 2000 in in BTCC when people threw money at it for for zero conceptual return for a lot of the manufacturers. But now they need to reinvent themselves. They're obviously, as you saw with the massive crowds at Hockenheim, the the atmosphere, the, the, the appetite for it within the German motor racing public, Massively which is passionate. great. As well. So what you therefore you look to do is is change the cost because you think about it, if you do um, bring in uh, Super GT cut cars, you know, are Toyota going to want to throw 40 million euros at it for the German regional series? How many Toyotas do you sell? Lexus. Well, even so, but it's not, although you could rebody that car as anything you want. But then again, but what are you? What are they going to get out of it? What is in it for them at that level of spend? If you turn around, oh, you spend eight million euros, oh, yeah, fine, not a problem at all. They're going to hundred. Well, don't forget, don't forget, the Japanese manufacturer is already spending that amount of money, yeah. at least, in Japan on Super GT. They're all spending about 100 million euros, 110, 120 million euros for the Japanese series. Mm. The, the, the major difference there being it's a four-cylinder, uh, twin-turbocharged engine, and there's tyre wars, uh, which may well make uh, it more expensive. Well, <laughs> well, for the tyre companies. Yes, it doesn't make any more necessary. Other suppose you've got to go and test them, but you know those cars were very spectacular. They they perfectly fitted in the surroundings. They're really loud, <laughs> considering they're turbocharged cars. They they are loud. They were louder to my ears and had a more edgy noise than the DTM cars. And there was only two of them running around. The Nissan was extraordinary, and Ronnie Quint- uh, Ronnie Quintarelli was just really hanging it out, basically doing qualifying laps after qualifying laps. Um, the, the speed of them is clearly about right because you'll balance that by the time you put a set of of, of standard tyres on them all. You'll easily balance them, them down. It's not an issue there at all. So, competitively, if you could get Nissan and uh, Lexus, Toyota, to throw four cars in next year as a tryout, then by the time Mercedes-Benz go, if you increase those to six, you're on a net gain, aren't you, from what you've had this year? So I, 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 I think those that think DTM are dead... DTM's not dead. It's not dead. DTM is in a major evolution phase. The thing it's got is bums on seats. The problem is, at the moment, the manufacturers don't want independent teams in there. So until all of the manufacturers have gone, you're not going to get independent teams... Well, independent teams can't actually afford to do it, Tim, because without without the uh, without the subsidies, without effectively being paid by a manufacturer to do it, none of those independent teams would be there because they don't have real sponsors, for the most part. BWT, a water company, a water purification company, were there spending a huge amount of money on fan activation, but it, it's it's not a real sponsor. They're just doing that as a sampling opportunity. They're not actually putting money in. It's the manufacturers that are paying for yeah, all the, the cars vast, to pay yeah, that. Yeah, the vast amount of money. Yeah. I mean, obviously, in case you don't know, they're, they're the same people who sponsor um, Force India. They're pink people. Yeah, they don't make enough. They don't make enough money from their business to be spending the money that it would take them to be in DTM. Never mind Formula One. Oh, hang I, on a minute. I, I, I really. <laughs> Any minute, any minute, any minute now, any minute now, you're going to start putting a certain brand of Italian pasta on the table and going, 
Uh-huh. Yeah, okay, I'd forgotten all about that. What am I seeing? What am I seeing? Um, the the TV production, I think, is uh, is up for grabs as well for DTM next year, so an awful lot oh, of changes. I'll put a bid in there because I'm cheap. Yeah, well, you, <laughs> you might get it. Um, Porsche Carrera... So Audi Remember, t- there's still £200 million, pounds, sorry, 200 million euros available, Nick. So You're right, I'm going to ask for 30k. <laughs> so, more than that. Um, so, TT Cup likely to disappear, which has been um, one of the support series. Porsche... Carrera Cup Deutschland is not leaving DTM's support package completely, but for the vast majority of its rounds next year, it will be with the ADSA GT Masters and not DTM. Mainly Why be- have they done that? There's one and a half million reasons okay. why they aren't going to do that. Because that's, now, now that I is the licensing yes. cost for the support series to be on the DTM package. TCR is also supporting uh, the ADAC GT package, package. Which makes and uh, German Formula 4. Which, which now, is that actually very attractive? That's actual Formula 4. Yeah. And there's a good reason for that, uh, because the manufacturers who have GT3 cars, the vast majority of them have TCR cars as well. The one thing that's missing from German motor racing is they don't have a GT4 series. Remarkable. There is nowhere, no national series in Germany where you can race a GT4 car. Just if you're then you can race them. There are a number of European series that go to Germany a lot, though. You could race them in the VLN, as, as Nick rightly says, but that is, you know, obviously... Not yeah, yeah, you could race anything in the VLN. Um, <laughs> and there is, a, there is a European GT4 series, of course, but it's never likely to be on the same package as DTM, and or certainly not ADAC GT Masters because of the fact of the falling out that the organisers of of ADAC uh, GT Masters and Stefan Rattel had, um, and it's a Rattel organisation, BOP and Formula. So that's never likely to be there. That's a, to me, that's a big gap because that would give somebody like Audi um, and probably BMW when they get their front-wheel drive TCR car when the new 1 Series comes out that's front-wheel drive. You know, that gives you a TCR car, a GT4 car, a GT3 car. It gives you a staircase of talent. Aye. As it were. Wise words, Sir Jackie. Yes, always from Sir Jackie. <laughs> um, so anyway, I enjoyed my trip to Germany. Uh, the drive down and back was, was brilliant. And uh, cheap diesel as well. Which was all all good. Let's all go for the cheap all, diesel. All good. I do like I do like a good drive through. I went down you one. Do, way you back do like cheap diesel, don't you? You do like cheap diesel. Like diesel. Yeah. Like. I got there and back on one. Diesel. I got there and back. I got there on one tank and back on one tank. But if you got there and back on one tank, it would be completely free then. Yes, true. No, no. I had to fill up once, and uh, it was one euro seven cents per oh, liter. Oh, nice. Yeah, really good. Um, and That's 50, 50 miles to the gallon, out of out of the Audi A4 twin turbo diesel that I took down the three litre. Is that Euro 6? Yes, of That's course. That's alright then, it's fine then. Yeah, it was fine. Should, um, should we move on to something that doesn't use diesel? Yeah, uh, yes. Formula E. Oh, actually, that reminds me, before we move on to something that doesn't use diesel, well, yeah. actually, we're going to still talk about things that don't use diesel, but yes, Nick mentions Formula E, which reminds me uh, about all the drivers who are exodusing, uh, if I can make that into a, Is that a word? verb. Um, about the driver exodus DTM. from <laughs> DTM. <laughs> Paul DeRest is a DTM. No, he's in DTM. <laughs> Sorry, Paul DeRest is a Formula E. Yeah. Well, Formula One. And uh, Robert Wickens to IndyCar. Well, well, well who's Paul DeRest driving for in Formula E? 
Paul DeResta had a great time at the weekend. Did he? He pulled the drain cover up. Great time. Oh, very good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's good to go. yeah well, he's, he's been hungry today, hasn't he? Or yesterday. He's been doing his part of the shootout with uh, Robert Kubica. Yes. In the 2014 Williams. Uh, bikes. Yay! Uh, shall we start with the British ones? Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes, Now, let's. last week, John uh, effectively gave the title to Leon Haslam. I did. We all did, actually. And uh, what happened to Leon Haslam? Uh, he ended up in hospital. Yes. But that's not Rick the story. Rick at Hawthorne. Um, he, it, it was, as our previous conversation the week prior, it was a triple header at Brands. Thank yeah. you. Well, Which thank I you. was right about. One race on the Saturday and two on the Sunday. The first race on the Saturday, Shaky Byrne won for the first time since July, but he is a bit of a brand specialist, Shaky. Uh, and hasn't had a poor race into eighth or tenth in the first race. Oh, I don't know. And he lost oh, yes, no, a no, chunk yeah. of his lead. In the second race, Shaky Byrne won again. really two races. Because it was a red flag. Very yeah. long red flag. Yeah. Um, for John and, Hopkins. And uh, Haslam came... I think fifth or sixth in that race. It was the se- I forgot the two races mixed up. It was the second race where, might, yeah. he, where he was just hung on to a top ten. Yeah, and then so that meant the difference was three points. And so anywhere near the front, all that had to happen was that Shaky would finish ahead of Leon. Obviously, his bike was set up super and going really, really well. Leon was starting way back on the fourth row. Middle of the fourth row for and Leon and middle of the front row for Shaky Byrne. And by halfway round the first lap, Leon Haslam was ahead was of Shaky Byrne. Fourth, they fourth and fifth, were they or third and fourth? Yeah. And uh, six laps in, in a pretty innocuous part of the track normally. Um, Hawthorns. In Hawthorne. They, um, it effectively, it looked like a bit of him made a terrible mistake, Haslam, and gone straight on. But what actually happened was he'd had front brake failure. Uh, he so he did what rear. all good motorcyclists do, which At I still... 172 miles an hour initially. Right. Just remember what Nick said there. This happened at 172 miles an hour going into a fast right-hander. And he goes for the front brake and it's not working. So he brakes as much as he can with the back brake. And then he does what all good motorcycle racers do, which I still can't get my head around. He gets as close to the ground as possible and then deliberately just leaves go of the bike and drops onto the ground and pushes the bike away from him. At still somewhere well over 100 miles an hour. In fact, he hit the air fence at probably over 100 miles an hour. Yes. That is, a, I, I still can't get, because it's your instinct to try and hang on as long as you can and go, I'm going to get round, I'm going to get round, uh, what's going to happen? I got it, I, I got it. I I've got, got it, I've got it, I've got it. I'll, oh, I'm off down a little bumpy gravel track. Yeah. I mean, you didn't get off. Garden. <laughs> That's true, I didn't get off. I just, I, 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 oh, this isn't the corner. Oh, oh ABS does work. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very, it's brave, a brave thing to get off and good presence of mind. Unfortunately, he, had, he actually damaged his ankle really, really badly. It turns out. Although he stayed at the track long enough to congratulate Shaky Byrne after the race. Came back and in, in, in a good bit of sport, he did congratulate Shaky Byrne, who won his sixth championship at Amazing. almost 41. So it just goes to show that age is not wearying a number of motor racing drivers. Sorry, motor cycling drivers, riders. We can cut this bit out. Just yeah. going to show that age is not wearing any of the of motorcycle riders at the moment. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so it's a very surprise turn up win. A combination of some excellent work at Brands Hatch and some very bad luck for Leon Haslam. Uh, Leon Haslam, who is 32 now. What? Uh, yeah, I, 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 that's, I, I, had him, I had him at 26 still. <laughs> uh, which I, I heard on the coverage um, that I was catching up on earlier on today, earlier on this evening, in fact. Um, and. I I thought that can't be right because I remember him in super teens uh, and all that. Now, interesting thing about Leon Haslam's career is he hasn't really won any championships because his career progress has been such, you know, uh, uh, it's been orchestrated by 
his dad, Ron Haslam, obviously, is he got him the experience in each of the categories that he was in. And he's never really steered in any category for very long. He's done a lot of hopping from World Super yes. Bikes to uh, British Super Bikes and back again. And there's even I, I, I know even recently he was thought he might go back to World Super Bikes. And he's won a number of races and finished in overall top threes, but he's not actually won anything as, as of recently. Mm. And, and again, due to bad luck, he hasn't won anything as recently. Yes. Um, but he's clearly, you know, still a force to be reckoned with. He's got plenty of plenty of spirit. He should have won the championship, though. And you can't help... I mean, all right, the break, the break failure um, at, at, at the third race, I mean, you know, that could happen anywhere. It was it was bad luck. You can't help thinking that they went the wrong way in race two with the bike set. They just, they just and they took the, they took the zero tyre rather than the one tyre, which is slightly harder. And he's not being comfortable on that for the whole whole season and when you're leading a championship with two rounds to go you don't make big changes do you well that's they must have got spooked by the the, the difference in the actual speed regardless of positioning the speed for Kyle Fatsaki by the way the guys in, in uh, races for um from shaky and, and and you know his problem you know shaky is a, is a is a is a big a big unit in that championship and you see him coming for you you get worried and he's he's, he's been himself been out of form for three months um but you, you know they say form is temporary and class is permanent. Well, we'll we'll find out. Uh, In, but he's even older. <laughs> well, but you can't you can't believe that a lad that's got so much talent and clearly has had so much talent in the junior formula has not won a championship. Um, but then again, only one person when he, when you're at the pinnacle of your sport and you're you're running with very difficult championships yeah you know, you've got if you're in world superbikes it's it's hard to win world superbikes you've got a, very, a number of other very good riders often from around the corner um and if you're in british superbikes you know it's always been exceptionally strong it's you know, the reason we do so well in world superbikes is because we have british superbikes the same reason the spanish do so well in moto gp because they have all the the region their, their local moto 3 and moto 2 championships it's how you prepare the, the riders to, to do that or how they get their preparation for it. Mm. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport, Series 12, Episode 39. That was the voice of Nick Damon, our Formula 1 and bike correspondent. That was British Superbikes. What else was on at the weekend? MotoGP. And oh. it's in Japan. So it was raining. Because apparently it rained in I Japan. I haven't seen any of it yet. I've set the highlights to, um, to record. Can I not listen to this bit? Yeah, you, but, yeah, well, you go and make yourself a cup of tea. Basically, I don't know, anyone tea, who I mean. hasn't been Why watching... Why don't you Mo- go and get Nick another slice of apple tart? I've had two. <laughs> the, the, the last slice of apple tart is for my father. Yeah. And, and it's, he's tried to... to to greed it away already. Taking food away from an 83-year-old. Yeah, but I did say look after him on the plane. <laughs> Just so of his food. Um, yes, so people who obviously don't watch a lot of MotoGP uh, decided to declare this the greatest MotoGP race of all time with the greatest battle of all time. Uh, and I was thinking, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yep. Seen much better in, in the last You've couple of years. this season. Um, but it was a teemingly wet race. Teemingly wet. Yeah, it was... Raining hard and it carried on rain throughout the race. Um, leaping to the front very early on was uh, um, Lorenzo, uh, Jorge Lorenzo, falling off the bike after only eight laps was Valentino Rossi, which was a surprise. Ow. And he hurt himself as well. Um, well, but he's not, riding didn't, injured, didn't, isn't he? Didn't redo really the same bit. Disappearing nowhere was Mario Maverick Vinales, the, the, car, the bike not working at all. And into the lead, surprising no one who knows anything about MotoGP, was Danilo Petrucci. 
Yeah. He went off and he just faded back because he'd gone for the slightly softer tyre and he was shocked by Mark Marquez. Well, that's it. It's all over now. Mark Marquez is going, but hang on. Who's that in the background? I hear you ask. Who's that in the background? Thank you very much. <laughs> it was Andrea Dovizioso. Dovi again. So Dovi and... Uh, On the Ducati. Yeah. So Dovi and uh, um, Marquez had a really, really ding good ding-dong well. battle about the last nine, ten laps, including, I think... Four passes in the last lap and a half, maybe five. Take that off the DVR to record tonight now. I don't need it. Including to. two in the last three corners. <laughs> um, and Divisioso won by about a oh, bike length. And it was a, it's a great battle. Um, obviously, Divisioso being second in the championship, we did narrow it slightly, but uh, um, Marquez still looked pretty good. And effectively, the, the Yamahas are out the running now, so it's just been those two, I think for overall honours with Marcus very much in the pole position but I'm glad everyone's recognised that MotoGP is good because I've been telling you for how many years now yes exactly <laughs> and we whose are. fault is it that it rained in Japan at the weekend well you have a theory um, that it is due to the presence of a certain somebody it is Sam Collins Sam Collins yeah. Why, has, he, has he only been to Japan this the, year the or? only His twice his first trip to the WC at Fuji was yes. in 2013 what happened in 2013 at Fuji was the one that never started properly well well, let me tell. Well, hang it's, on. It started Audi, behind uh, the safety car. Well, Audi qualified on pole position, and Toyota won. Right. Right. But there were no racing laps, were there? No, there weren't. There was two eight-lap stints behind the safety car. And someone pitted. I can't remember now. Did someone pit when they shouldn't have done? Yes, Audi pitted to fix a problem with a uh, inlet. In a, mm. a an inlet, they had some debris in the inlet that was working a bit like a butterfly. And so they rather than just drive around behind the safety car, they were worried that if it went green, they would not be able to compete. And so instead of staying out there and taking their win, they pitted and lost the win. And what happened? Sam returned to the uh, WC at Fuji this year, this weekend, and there were 66 green flag laps, which is a lot better than they did before. So that's an hour and 45 minutes of green. Uh, Not more than that. No. No more than that. No, no less. Uh, oh, yes, more than that, yeah. Yes. Well, how long is a lap? A wet time? Um, however, what I don't know, because I haven't looked at the Trustwell stats yet, is whether they were all all green laps or whether there were slow zones in those laps. Because on every restart, they had a slow zone at turn one for at least two or three laps. There were a lot of slow zones. Yeah. The second restart, they it was uh, marginal took all the, the way through, slow so zone away as soon as they were past it. So the yeah. second time past, there was, it wasn't there anymore. It was very, very marginal right the way through the week on conditions, either for wet or for visibility or for both. Um, they brought forward the qualifying session. Um, they brought forward the qualifying session because they had had a forecast for fog. And to be honest, by the end of the GT qualifying session, you could not see one side of the track from the other. I mean, I remember that we've had uh, Grand Prix and the, the Grand Prix and the most GPs and the WC all seem to be condensed in this sort of four to six week period, as it always have been. Mm. Are we going to Japan in the wrong four to six yes, week period? Absolutely. Yes. So why it, are we doing that? If we'd been in Germany, why in the go, Hockenheim, why we go we, the beginning we'd of the have been fine. Because I remember the two races I either were lovely. It's because it's uh, close to China. Mm. Well, yeah, that doesn't, so that doesn't uh, work and, for and obviously. Uh, apparently there is still a World 2 in-car championship and they went to China. Well, what was the weather like for them? It, it was, was chucking chucking it, down. it down. Yeah. They had, uh, their, their didn't they, they lost a full session, didn't they? Lost a, the, the race, they had a race where they needed two laps and there was a big argument whether it counted with points or not. Which uh, it did. Well, the, of course, the 2013 uh, WAC race, after that, the regulations were changed because of that race. 
Uh, and now you've got to have two green flag laps which take place before 90 minutes after the schedule start time for it to be counted as a race for any point at all and 75% distance or time, should I say, because it is a timed race, before you get full points. Uh, anything less than that, it's half points. WTCC races are only 20 minutes long anyway, so uh, they only have to do two laps to qualify yeah. for half points. Yeah. But not the Nürburgring, the, though. <laughs> even if they're behind the safety car. No, there's one at the Nürburgring. Yeah. Um, should be, it should be about a half, shouldn't it, really? Oh, so they don't even have to do a green flag lap? No, and they didn't. <sighs> See, to be honest, if you're behind a safety car, that's not a competitive lap. That's just, then, take, that's just taking the results of qualifying. Yeah, there's no point in doing that. And then given points for it, you might as well be fair, there's the no risk. point going all the way to China to do 40 minutes of racing. Well, they've had this issue before with WTCC uh, in China because it was so foggy one time that they couldn't get the helicopter in. So that means they couldn't start the race and that did, that lost them a session, um, if not a race, if I'm not mistaken. I think that was just a couple of weeks before we turned up there for the WEC because, as, as you rightly say, over in Asia, all of the events are really... Um, tightly packed into a five or six week period and uh, I, I don't get it. every time I've flown to Japan for the WEC in the last few years I have flown through or around a, a storm system a typhoon yeah because hurricanes are typhoons up there aren't they mm-hmm. uh, the circuit they used in China was a brand new one Ningbo yeah looked quite nice uh, didn't see where, where that much that of it whereabouts is that which, which town is it near I'd imagine it's near the town of Ningbo. Okay, well, I, don't, I have no idea where that is in China. Obviously, Sichuan and place like that. But um, hmm. yeah, I mean, I think uh, we, we've conclusively proven that, that that area of the world was quite wet this weekend. Oh, it's uh, it's near. It's right on the east coast, near Hangzhou. What, what time of the year would we go then, if? Um, if we were going not at this time of year, I can't think it's spring is better for both those those areas. Yes, early summer. Mm-hmm. Certainly, back in the summer and autumn, you know, Japan is always danger of being wet. I'm trying to remember how many the Suzuki Grand Prix I went to were wet. I think the, the, I think only one of them's actually wet race. But it was wet. There was wetness every single one, I believe. You're listening to Midweek Motorsports. It's Series 12, Episode 38. Uh, Nick Damon alongside me, John Hindorf. And up in London is Tim Gray. And to prove we're live, oh, yeah, it football is still 1-1. One, one. Still 1-1. One, oh, one. no, it's 2-1. No. Oh, is it 2-1? Yeah, no. Mandzukic. Ah, excellent. Is it, is two it, minutes to play. I, right. I, I have absolutely no idea what game we're talking about, by the way. Okay. That's the whole point. No, I know it's football, by the way. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, very good. All good stuff. Um, and now I think we can say good evening to Racer.com's Marshall Pruitt. Good evening, Marshall Pruitt. Good evening, Marshall Pruitt. Hey, perfect timing. Thank you, MP, uh, for joining us tonight. How are you doing this week? I am well. This is my first week of true off-season-ness. And uh, <laughs> I have to admit, I woke up Monday morning and the usual fire in my belly that has me wanting to be super competitive and fight the world and win, 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 uh, it wasn't there. And after about 
two large mugs of coffee, it still wasn't there. So mm. I've conceded that this week uh, we are going to throttle back. Uh, we're going to be on the speed limiter this week, Hindy. We're not going to be flat in sixth. So all's good nonetheless. was just on the phone with uh, my friend Paul Tracy talking about IndyCar's new Canadian super team and all kinds of fun. Well, so. that's exactly where I want to start with you tonight. Um, I'm not sure how uh, a man from uh, Hexham near Newcastle, uh, Piers Phillips, is going to get on with not one but two Canadians now because uh, it looks like the Schmidt-Peterson Motorsport team is Team Canada for 2018. Shea Adams very excited about this as Robert Wiggins comes out of uh, DTM to join the IndyCar ranks and, uh, and Hinch, of course, already there. The wonderful artist Roger Warwick already dubbed them the A team as an EH question mark. A. The A? Mm, the A. Very good. Uh, yeah. I mean, A, fantastic for uh, the team. We kind of knew this was happening uh, last week. But nonetheless, as someone who came up in the sport prior to the advent of the Players Racing Academy where the uh, the tobacco brand in Canada invested a just ridiculous amount of money in grooming young English-Canadian and French-Canadian talent, uh, which Paul Tracy was a recipient of. Granted, he uh, later in his career uh, was driving for the Players Forsyth team, won his one IndyCar championship there. But this is a country that for many years... Uh, has been an incredibly valuable contributor of talent mm. to North American open wheel racing uh, champions as well. Uh, some that we uh, we lost unfortunately too soon from uh, Stefan Pruhl to uh, Greg Moore. But nonetheless, with this combination of the mayor of Hinchtown, James <laughs> Hinchcliffe, uh, returning, he's been with. Uh, Schmidt for three years now with him returning for uh, a couple years at least didn't say how long the term but multi-year contract we know that we have Canada's number one IndyCar driver uh, which is a wonderful thing and adding a second Canadian who also happens to be essentially Hinch's best friend two of them grew up and have been racing together since they were uh, teenagers uh, in and around the greater Toronto area it is a fantastic thing uh, of the questions, and the team also, by the way, is co-owned by Rick Peterson, a mm-hmm. Canadian uh, trucking and, and shipping magnate. So the uh, the Maple Leaf Mafia, as I have dubbed them, <laughs> uh, I think that is going to be uh, definitely something that, while I don't believe it is going to be a raging beast for the first half of 2018, uh, I think once Wickens gets a better feel for ovals, which he's never competed on, and learns the vagaries of the new 2018 lower downforce bodywork, uh, the new tires, some new tracks to him, etc., this is a big ask. And I can, while I don't know the duration of Wiccan's contract, Hindy, I can say that I hope it isn't a one-year deal. Uh, if it's a multi-year deal, at least two, then I am absolutely heartened and uh, certainly believe that Robert will be able to show that he is a bad mofo uh, <laughs> towards the end of 2018 getting into 2019 and i just say that maybe as as a discussion prompt that when alexander rossi came over to indycar in 2016 
This is someone who, unlike Robert, had, was doing nothing but open wheel when he made that transition. Robert's been in the DTM for six years, mm. uh, following a lot of junior open wheel um, experience. But nonetheless, it's been a long time since Robert was focused solely on open wheel. Yep. When Rossi came over, we can kind of discount his Indy 500 win in terms of that being the showcase that he was ready and just a, a premier star. Won that race, which is fantastic, but it really took until the last race or two of 2016, the end of his rookie season. Sonoma in particular, the season finale where I forget exactly where he qualified, but it was fourth or fifth, or may, right behind team leader Ryan Hunter Ray, raced up front. It took essentially 16 races for us to go, this kid's yeah. got it. Yeah. And he came straight out of open wheel. For Robert, we might be asking a little bit too much to think he's going to do that uh, right away. Yeah, 10 years since Wiggins was in the Atlantic Series. Did, did he, he not do any ovals at all in that? Was there no ovals in the Atlantic season in, in 2007? I don't remember. If they did, it would have been most likely a smaller flat oval, something yeah. like a, Mil- a Milwaukee or so and so, compared to, you know, crazy high banks at Texas or somewhere else. Uh, how's this? You look at a person like Sebastian Bourdais and a lot of European road racers, uh, they have come over and while mastering the big ovals uh, has taken time they've all adapted pretty quickly to the short ovals yeah. and that just speaks to the fact that they're the road racing mindset is uh, much easier in terms of adaptation on those ovals the big ones take a, a little bit longer so but nonetheless where was alexander rossi most effective this year in indycar yeah uh, that was on the big oval so it took uh, that kid one one year to figure him out so again Wickens, I I don't know what his headroom is. I don't know how good or great he can be, but I know having seen him in his junior formula days, uh, intriguing talent for sure. Yeah. And I don't know if I would say I have a higher expectation for him than what Rossi's capable of delivering, but I would bet in identical equipment, there wouldn't be much separating them. He, he won the uh, Formula Renault 3.5 series, Wickens we're talking about here, in, in 2011. Um, a car with uh, a decent amount of of, of performance. Um, not sure how that would compare with a, a current or indeed next year's next year's uh, Indy car in terms of downforce. They're pretty heavy downforce cars. Those three point five. Three point five had quite a bit of downforce. Yeah, be, I, I think that the Indy car would be um, a small step up. But it's a long time since he's been in one. Yeah, yeah. But then he's got—he's not exactly lacking in downforce in a DTM car. Well, no, that's true. But they're, they're going to be less downforce on IndyCar next year. I think that's—you know—that's the point that, that Marshall was mm. making earlier on. Tim Gray has a, a point uh, for the new Canadian Super Team about the new Canadian Super Team for first, Marshall. First of all, I'm going to answer your question, which was that uh, Atlantic didn't go to any ovals at all in or seven or in any seven. Okay, right. Um, Las Vegas. Uh, which was street race, Long Beach street race, Houston street race, Portland, Cleveland, uh, Mont oh, yeah. Blanc, uh, Toronto street race, Edmonton, San Jose, Alcott Lake. All right, okay. Uh, ten years ago, yes, uh, Hinchcliffe and Wickens were teammates at A1 Team Canada. Oh yes, they were. Blimey, that's a memory enough. Well done. Which wasn't run by a Canadian, it was run by an Irishman. Because it was I run by Stacey. We also had Graham Rahal in the Team Lebanon entry, of course, right, a natural yes. fit yeah. for the Ohio product. Was that status, was it? It was status. Right. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that completely. Completely. They did have a Canadian about. press officer, though. 
So they have been teammates before. I, I don't think there'll be any problems there, MP. As you said, they've known each other for a long time. They're good mates. Um, it might take Wicks, uh, Wiggins a little time to to get up to speed. But I tell you what, they're going to become fan favourites straight away. That team, uh, the guys behind it, they know how to have... Uh, a, they know how to take things seriously on the track, but they'll know how to have a bit of fun off it. I, I've, I've got a feeling that, that um, the lines for autographs uh, are going to be quite long outside the uh, uh, Smith-Peterson Motorsport trailer uh, in the uh, in the paddocks of IndyCar for next year. Absolutely. And uh, the biggest take-home with all this is this is something that Hinch has engineered. And I won't go into all kinds of... Uh, Deeper background stuff, because I don't think it would be appropriate, but I can say that uh, after a few too many years of either unimpressive teammates, those who just did not contribute enough to give Hinch any kind of support, meaning, hey, we're a two-car team. Mm. How can we uplift one another? Uh, what we've had, essentially, since he joined the team is two one-car teams with the same name. Yes. And as a result, uh, coming into a contract year, Hinch said, all right, I'd love to come back. Uh, he's, and he's spoken with other teams as well, but love to come back. But if I am, uh, we're not going to do this routine where, you know, good old Fred Rydacek yeah. uh, shows up and uh, climbs into the car next to me, who, who may or may not uh, contribute to our overall success. If I'm coming back. It's going to be with someone who I know will be on that program of making us together the best as can be. And that's where Wickens, who uh, who shared Hinch's car during a DTM swap, promotional swap at Sebring earlier this year, and then spent one day in Michaela Lotion's car the Friday practice day at Road America when McHale was stuck with uh, travel visa issues. Uh, Hinch came away realizing that this guy is not just tons of talent since they last worked together, but also that as a team, as a duo, uh, they would certainly be much more effective together. And so as a result, Heine, he has spent the entire offseason uh, pushing, trying to bring the team to that realization. And I can tell you that uh, that realization was not always held. And uh, it took constant, constant badgering uh, and relentlessness from our boy Hinchcliffe uh, and a few others as well to get uh, Sam Schmidt to say, OK, got it, doing it, let's go. So good on him for uh, making his reality what he wants it to be. Tim mentioned that in the Formula Atlantic, Robert Wickens raced at Portland in 2007. That's going to be handy because in September 2018, we are back to the Rose City, the Grand Prix of Portland at Portland International Raceway, one of 17 dates from March the 11th, a little bit earlier start to the Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg. I think that puts that the week before Sebring, actually, through to September the 16th. Uh, And that's a mix again of street circuits, ovals uh, and road courses. Uh, The calendar came out uh, last Thursday, and what do you reckon then, MP? Is it about the right mix? I love it. Uh, the only downer is the fact that we've lost Watkins Glen. Yes. But, I mean, it. <clears throat> I think as we might have discussed, and if we didn't, I apologize because my brain is a little softer than usual. Um, I mean, IndyCar is in a place where it is growing. Not rapidly, but it is growing. And while... 
everybody loved going to Watkins Glen, going back, seeing these cars turn the fastest laps ever, uh, having those incredible laps and some really, really good racing completed as well in front of grandstands that looked like uh, race day looked like a Friday morning of just a sprinkling of people that uh, got off work or, you know, uh, or didn't have work to go to who turned up at the racetrack. Um, any series that is trying to promote its growth, promote the fact that it's getting healthier, should be uh, realized, recognized, given more money, etc. Uh, you cannot then go and have the TV camera showing grandstands that are, I wouldn't even say half full. Uh, half full would have been a blessing. So with that said, carving Watkins Glen off the calendar, knowing that as well, with the uh, limited crowd turnout, the uh, financial intake was obviously going to be rather modest. It made sense. It doesn't make sense to the heart, but it's a business decision that does. Could that change in the future somehow? Uh, I'm sure. I know that if IndyCar gets back to a place where it is much more popular as it once was, uh, I would say that you would hope more fans would want to turn up at Watkins Glen to see these cars, in my opinion, in their natural element. Yeah. Just, you know, it, it is something to be truly to behold there. Well, I, I mean, one of the things I've always loved about this series, whatever it was called, um, is the variety of circuits. Uh, we've got St. Pete's on the streets, uh, Long Beach on the streets, Belle Isle uh, in early June for the doubleheader, uh, June 2nd and 3rd. Uh, Toronto... Uh, those are the straight circuits. The ovals are Avondale, Arizona, the ISM Raceway. That's early on in the season, April the 7th. Indianapolis is the second oval and the first Super Speedway. Texas Motor Speedway uh, and in June, week before Le Mans. Iowa Speedway for the Iowa Corn 300 in July. Then Pocono and Gateway in Madison, Illinois in August. Uh, and that leads the road courses as Barber Motorsport Park, uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course, of course, before the Indy 500, Road America, Mid-Ohio in July, and then Portland, the uh, back to Portland, and the Sonoma Raceway ends it up. Is, is that the right mix in terms of, of, of what we've we've got there? I always worry that Indianapolis Motor Speedway is the first the first of the super speedways but i suppose given that indianapolis is is a unique challenge anyway it doesn't really matter if there's a another oval before it or not mp hello marshall sorry about that um <laughs> i believe well, granted it is the first super speedway we will have the phoenix oval that comes uh you know before that yep. so uh folks will have a little bit of uh preparation for the art of turning left but I mean, with the way indianapolis is scheduled drivers are it's funny although there we have eight days nine days total of on-track activity before the race uh you still end up with teams and drivers saying they wish they had more time because yeah. there's more they wanted to try um i'm not concerned about you know indy being the first speedway uh, it's something where we we obviously witnessed Fernando Alonso with essentially zero oval experience, barring that one day, uh, essentially a half day test, uh, private test that was done. You know, it's something that if you have skill, you can pick it up. 
the one major change, Heidi, about the 2018 bodywork, which is radically different from what we have now, is while the road and street course package, and I guess you could also say the uh, short oval package, which is essentially the road course uh, high downforce setup, while that is radically different from what we just completed the 2017 season with, when it comes to the super speedways, IndyCar intentionally set the downforce and drag numbers uh, to a place that more or less mirrored what teams have had yeah. for the past many years with the with the Delara DW12. So while they anticipate passing being a little bit easier due to a drag reduction uh, with those 2018 bodywork changes. For the most part, someone like Robert Wickens, a rookie, uh, although he w- doesn't have much experience with the previous bodywork, higher downforce bodywork, when he's in road course trim, there'll be some new things to learn for sure, uh, handling-wise, feeling-wise. Uh, for those who are going to Indy for the first time with this 2018 bodywork, speaking with Oriol Servia, Juan Montoya, who's done the testing, they've said it, it just it feels the same. Performance-wise, speed-wise, it feels the same, except better. The car is actually more stable since we've lost some of that weight off the back of the car by removing those silly rear wheel pods and all kinds of other uh, weight that made the car swing a bit like a pendulum from behind. Mm. It's actually more on rails and handles better, and it doesn't have this crazy wiggle in the middle of the corner. So I would say that uh, despite the lack of a super speedway before the 500, Everything I've heard says uh, everyone coming in will be fine. Uh, we're on the episode that mirrors Brendan Hartley's uh, Formula One number tonight. This is episode 39. Tim Greer has a question for Marshall Pruitt. Tim, fire away. Not so much a question. Uh, first of all, before I come to my point, um, <laughs> it's not like we're sending people to the Indy 500, getting them to do four laps in qualifying and then race for 500 laps. Yeah, good they point. get weeks and weeks of practice. Well, as, as, as Marshall's just said, yes, there's nothing uh, to this. I'm... Uh, as I mentioned last week, very excited by the return to Portland. Yeah, lovely circuit. Uh, very tight little circuit. Been there many is times. One I've wanted to go to for many, many years, and uh, due to its lack of uh, top-level motor racing, uh, I've not had the opportunity. So next year I will be going. Uh, and not only will I see an Indy car race, but I will see the season finale double headers of not one but two support series. Which are what, Marshall? Oh, don't do that to me. He's the guy bringing up the point. Close out the Indy point. Lights. Indy, Indy lights. Indy lights will conclude there. Yeah. Yes. And uh, uh, Mazda Pro Road, Mazda. That what what used to be Pro Mazda Road to Indy. The, well, pro, it's Pro Mazda. Pro Mazda. Yeah. Both under the Mazda Road to Indy uh, banner. Uh, so that yeah. means September the 2nd, uh, we won't expect to hear from you then, because you'll be in Portland. You can hear from me in <laughs> Portland, but... Uh, Yes. Well, how's this? Uh, I loved that the Indy Light Series ended their season at Watkins Glen this year. Uh, It was in the rain, so it was a little bit weird, but it at least had the potential for being good. Uh, I'm not saying Portland won't have the potential for being good, but Portland has one thing that is always complicated. Things, and that is its first corner, yeah. which uh, for those who haven't seen it, uh, you it's 
basically a mid-gear, second to third uh, gear corner exiting onto the front straight, which doubles as a drag strip, so that yep. gives you an idea of its length. And drivers go barreling down that straight and then hang a hard right, not too uh, uh, dissimilar to the first turn at Monza. A uh, little bit more open, a little bit wider, etc., etc. Uh, but long story short, the potential for the almighty climbing over one another, knocking wheels and wings and others off from some idiot thinking they're going to go from last to first and clobbering the championship contenders or something happening mid-pack up front. That's the only thing that scares me about Portland, Tim, for a venue for feeder series trying to settle a championship, even in the big series. Uh, I have watched whether actually IMSA, IndyCar, you name it, uh, I've seen a lot of dumb moves happen there. So with all that said, um, I just hope that we get the best versions of our young drivers there because uh, we could have the championship settled based on ineptitude rather than excellence. Are they going to run the chicane on that straight or not? Uh, that chicane's been used for everything but, yeah. for quite some time. We even use it in the American Le Mans series, days, if memory serves. Um, if, if, if you've never seen um, Portland and you don't know it, if you go and look at that awful, awful film that Sylvester Stallone made... Ah, uh, drivel. Sorry? Drivel. Drivel, yes, <laughs> drivel. Um, I think it was something like that. Uh, the uh, the overhead shot where the car's in the lake and uh, the, the there's a fireball on the lake, um, despite the fact that the only thing that puts fire out with methanol is water. water. Yes, that's water, yeah. that's Portland. Uh, although they play fast and loose with everything there, including which circuit is which. Go, go and have a look at some of the old IndyCar races or the old ALMS races there. There was a cracking race there in ALMS with Chris Dyson and JJ Leto battling for about an hour and a half that I remember barely, um, barely, well, I didn't sit down at all. Still don't sit down when I'm commentating, but I mean, everybody was on the edge of the seat for about an hour and a half. There's been some great races there. Um, you really have to plan and scheme to get by. I think it's an interesting uh, an interesting thing going back there after a gap of 11 years. Coming towards the end of the programme tonight, and I'm afraid we're going to finish with some uh, fairly sad news and uh, with Marshall uh, for this news reaching us earlier this week, Marshall, of the, uh, the sad death of a, a great uh, competitor and supporter of, of endurance racing in the US, that uh, of Johnny Stevenson of Stevenson Motorsport. Yeah, this is... Uh... I mean, this stuff is never easy, Heidi. Uh, part of your job, my job, etc., is you know writing obituaries, having to call folks and uh, gather details about some stuff that you know on a given a choice we'd rather just be talking about the fun and the silly and the enjoyable. Uh, Johnny, for me, very unique character, and also a throwback in that. We have had many. Um, we've had many wealthy, self-funded team owners in sports car racing. Honestly, they are the bedrock of sports car racing. There's usually some sort of greater goal, uh, whether it's getting the limelight 
shown in their direction, look at me, high profile, uh, whether it's a need to beat the world and this team that I'm funding through my own money, through my businesses, it's here because I'm a highly competitive person. I'm an owner driver. Johnny Stevenson uh, and his wife, Susan, uh, who survives them, they filled a very, very unique place in IMSA where, uh, and prior to that in Grand Am, where this was a family venture, meaning, and you might say, well, you know, Wayne Taylor racing, his sons drive for him. Wouldn't that be, you know, the same thing? Not really. Uh, For the Stevensons. Uh, led by Johnny, uh, this was very much a uh, a gathering, a a vehicle around where family enjoyment, building a family with a race team, enjoying that interaction, inviting you know uh, sons and daughters and wives and girlfriends, boyfriends, you name it. Uh, the culture there while focused on winning, while focused on helping to positively represent uh, Stevenson's multiple dealerships, uh, their manufacturer alliances, they were a factory General Motors team for many years in the Continental Tire Series, although it wasn't broadcast as such. Uh, But regardless, this really was about union of friends, of people in a motorsports dynamic. And that's the thing that I I hate that we lost when the team announced their withdrawal with Petit Le Mans being Stevenson Motorsports' final event, uh, period. Uh, But also just from a spirit and character standpoint, uh, there are a lot of people that you and I love running into. I mean, Giuseppe Risi, good Lord, that we could spend the rest of our lives just listening to that lovely gentleman just uh, allow us to bathe in his immense uh, character and generosity. You look at someone like uh, Johnny Stevenson, though, and you, you know, Mike Johnson, who was our team manager for 11 years, you know, said we went around the table at our, our final dinner together um, after uh, they ended the uh, Petit Le Mans race a little bit early after being crashed out and said we went around the table and he said, first of all, Johnny Stevenson just had fun roasting each one of us individually, but that's what families do. But he said we realized that during our time together, nine babies had been born. Yeah. And that, that, that statistic – just really stood out to him and to me is very emblematic of the team of you know that's a number they took pride in right you could talk about the wins or championships or other things but that was a metric that really stood out to them as being incredibly important of how new life uh, and many new lives were were brought forth during uh, the span of this team's existence so with all that said you then learn of Johnny's death earlier this week at his uh, one of his dealerships, and I th- I would say that there are I would credit uh, a number not all but credit a number of outlets that have been very sensitive in yes. the reporting of the the happenings or circumstances of his death. So I'm not saying that in some sort not trying to say that in some sort of you know dark or cloudy way, but uh, there's always more to every story. Obviously, folks today want to know everything about everything. I would just give full credit to those who realize that, uh, at least in this case, 
digging in, digging in as deeply as possible and posting everything that possibly could maybe wouldn't represent who the man was and what he contributed during his 69 years on this planet. So yeah, uh, kudos to all those uh, like yourself who's handled this uh, with, with great care and understanding that what he achieved and what he's left behind, I think, uh, is the thing that hopefully many folks will uh, will cherish. Yeah, uh, wise words, Mr. Pruitt. Uh, he had been honoured, of course, at the IMSA banquet after Petit Le Mans. Uh, he and his wife Susan were given lifetime paddock passes to IMSA, uh, some special artwork to honour his racing career. And we echo what uh, many, including Scott Atherton, the man at the head of IMSA, have says, uh, Johnny, he said, Johnny led a fantastic race team for many years. He'll be missed in the IMSA paddock. Our thoughts, prayers and deepest condolences go out to his wife, Susan, the rest of the Stevenson family. And I'll add to that to anyone in the paddock who knew him. And that will be an awful lot of people. The sad news that Johnny Stevenson of Stevenson Motorsport uh, died earlier on this week. Sad news to end the 39th episode of Series 12. 39, the number that Brendan uh, will be taking uh, into the Formula One uh, paddock this weekend in the States. We'll be looking at that this time next week. Well, probably before this time next week because we're at the end of the show. Uh, Good luck to Brendan Hartley uh, this weekend. Great to see him making his Formula One debut. That was Midweek Motorsport for this week. Thanks to Marshall to Nick, to Tim, who was uh, up in London, uh, and also to everyone who was on the show, uh, particularly to Rennie Rast, who gave of his time earlier on uh, this week to talk to us uh, about his DTM victory. See you next week. Bye-bye. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.